Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Partygoers and fancy seeing you lolling around the listening party rumpus room. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And Mary. Yes. You were going to say something? I was going to say, well, I was going to say that I think that um, that lolling around is, is welcome on a long weekend. That's true. It is. I a, think they're it, designed for lolling around, especially when the weekend is, the long weekend is designed around eating a lot of ham. <laughs> yes, this is, uh, we're recording this on Easter Sunday. So we, of course, have just come from church. Just joking. Well, no, no, we haven't. No such thing going on right now. So it's kind of a weird weekend of uh, what's normally a very busy time in terms mm-hmm. of church services. Mm-hmm. Thursday to, to Sunday, it's uh, it's quite the quiet. Yeah. One could hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. And Although I did work an extra couple hours on Friday for go. our Easter brunch at work. There you go. Nice. Nice. Which the residents loved. Did they get ham as well? Uh, they get ham tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they have a ham dinner tonight, and then Friday morning we had an Easter brunch. Oh, I see. I see. So you had eggs to celebrate Easter. Yes. And the traditional eggs and rabbits. Yep. Signs of spring. The Easter brunch was, um, they had three different ty- types of salads. Yeah. I'm putting salads in quotation marks. Okay. Because it was a fruit salad, mm-hmm. a potato salad, okay. and an ambrosia salad. Okay. None I of them don't really think f- any of those are salad. <laughs> Um, and then they had sausages, yeah. bacon, hash browns, waffles, uh, and then they could have scrambled eggs or an mm-hmm. omelet, mm-hmm. and um, croissants. At the one building, we had like tarts and lemon bars and three types of danishes and cream puffs. At the mm-hmm. other building, we had five types of danishes, cream puffs, and uh, rum balls. Well, you must have enjoyed that while you were still on your, your Lenten sugar fast to have people eating <laughs> danishes around you. Yep. <laughs> uh, I don't like danishes very much. So oh, okay. Like, that's meh. fine then. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, I haven't done much lolling around this weekend, but that's okay. That's It's a listening party weekend. That means note-taking. Yes. No lollygagging, Dave. Yep. But you did get a long weekend, so that's nice. Yeah, that was very nice. Yep. And next ready to work. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's something else. Yep. So yeah, no, it's nice. It's good to have a rest. Mm-hmm. One of these days I'll get a full eight hours sleep. I'm looking forward to yes. it. Yes. Well, you do have some time booked off coming up. Yes, I do. Not for a couple of months, but that's true. For a couple of months? Yeah, it's uh, end of June. Oh. We're only starting April. Oh, April, yeah, I guess yeah. so. So it's a while, a while away yet. It's still yeah. almost three months. So, But I am looking forward to it. You're right. I start counting the days down now. That will make not make it seem like it's a long way away at all. <laughs> Better just to forget about it. And then it creeps up in you one day and you're like... People are like, why are you at work? Didn't you take the day off? And you're like, what? Ooh, guess I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mara. So I guess we're starting side two of the second mixtape that mm-hmm. I made for our a listener, Nick Owen. Yep. Who uh, kindly sent in a couple of CDRs. And then I reciprocally, kindlingly returned uh, two CDRs that were covered in songs for him. Hmm. Unreasonable. Songs. There's no way he just had it. Nothing right. he could do about it. He was stuck. You didn't with them. send CDRWs. I didn't send CDRWs. You just make your own mix. Yeah. I sent. Yeah, that's what I did. I just sent CDRWs, blank CDRWs back, and just with suggest song suggestions. <laughs> you could you could put these on if you want or not. It's up to you. It's a very uh, 
generous project. Mm-hmm. No, I fascistically recorded on the CDRs and sent them to him with, with no no way he could edit them. Yeah. And he got what he got. Yep. And uh, I know that he liked one song. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> but it wasn't on this mix. Oh. The one song that he wrote to me about. Hmm. But I'm going to assume he liked other songs. Yeah. What do I know? Mm-hmm. So. I think sometimes, too, the first time you listen to a mix, yeah. it's hard to... Um, hard to like it sometimes. Really? really? Yeah. yeah. I think so. Hmm. I think that sometimes it takes like a couple listens. That's probably true. Get used to the songs and whatever. Are you reacting to the Stellar J that has hopped up onto the... Well, there's a Stellar's J, but then there's also a Red Wing Blackbird yelling at us. Oh, okay. They have a very distinctive call. Oh, okay. I have a bird feeder upstairs now, up above us on the porch. Yeah. So I wonder if, if listeners will be able to hear the bird sounds more. If we had the windows open, probably. Yeah. Um, I do get to sit and color to the eternal sound of seeds dropping <laughs> over my head. This constant tip tapping, and I go, "Is it rainy out?" Nope, it's completely sunny today. Well, you know what, Dad? That's gonna increase because I just bought um, a low millet mix as opposed to a no millet mix. Okay. So the millet is designed for the birds who eat at the tube feeders to take it and go, "Ew, I don't want this," and throw it out on the ground. Yeah. And then the juncos and the toys yeah. who are ground feeders yeah. and they come and get them oh okay mm-hmm. okay great <laughs> yep so now that sound of birds hopping around up there and yes. the sound of seed dropping well there's already juncos hopping around up there because right now they're not noises. getting anything or they're not, they're not getting as much yeah, but now yeah. they'll be getting more oh okay well that's good mm-hmm. that's good all right so yeah we've we have quite a quite a collection of birds yes they've been coming and i've been seeing less of the ones that you don't like the siskins yeah i don't dislike them well although today I sat and watched for a while. Yeah. I had 13 siskins. Oh, okay. Five chicken, five black cap chickadees. Okay. Four chestnut back chickadees. Okay. Two red winged blackbirds, both males. Two Anna's hummingbirds. Seven dark eyed juncos. Two house finches. One song sparrow. Seven stellar's jays. One bush tit. One uh, Eurasian collared dove. Three northern flickers. And one male downy woodpecker. Oh, that's pretty good. Good yeah. selection there. Yeah, I thought so. Except for those collared doves. You don't like the collared doves? No, I don't like them. That's I don't like fair. invasive species. That's so. fair. I don't like starlings. I had a either. starling there the other day. Hmm. So I guess they're coming. Hopefully, um, hopefully I don't get too many of them. I heard there's something you can put into the mix that will keep the starlings away. Oh, is there? Yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure what it is, but someone mentioned that hmm. in a post I was reading. Yeah. And so you could probably look into that at, I can. at your Well, someone feed else store. at the bird feed store, um, one of the people who worked there was saying that he had advised someone else to take the feeders down for about a week. And then they move on. The starlings move on? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. But that didn't work with the pine siskins, though, so... No, but they're kind of a different story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. They're just, like, so numerous here right now. Yeah. 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 Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed... This is our bird- birding podcast. Our, bird- our birding podcast that we've now started to do. <laughs> Mine is called, I don't know, anything I'm talking about. <laughs> That's my role on the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's... Yeah. Well, let's we're we're no uh, We're Sorry. no ABA podcast. Don't know what that means. American Bar Association, I assume you mean. We're yep. not a, it's not a podcast for lawyers. No, American Birding Association podcast. How can they have the same, how can they have the same uh, acronym? acronym as the American Bar Association? That's ridiculous. Is it a real thing? Yeah, it is. Hmm. Yeah. because You know why? I know yeah. I know that. Because yeah. I do crossword puzzles. Oh. That is a handy crossword puzzle clue. Well, here's another one. American sure. Birding Association. I guess I'll change it now. Here's another, here's another good one for you. Mm-hmm. Ernie Ells, the golfer. Mm-hmm. If you have like a three-letter name that's kind of yeah. has uses a few handy letters, yeah, you're guaranteed to be a crossword puzzle for the rest of your life. Mel Ott, 
Mm. O-double-T. Yeah. Famous, famous, i put that in quotation marks, yep. uh, player for the Giants before they moved to San Francisco. So mm-hmm. they're still a New York Giant. Or And of course, mm-hmm. the famous Op Fockel. Op Fockel, of course. <laughs> O-double-P-F-O-C-K-L-E. Yep. Well-known and yep. famous folk figure. Yeah, famous for being in Dad's Dream that one time. <laughs> and also a character in uh, in our Pandemic game. We named a character in Pandemic, Op Fockel. That's true. I also gave him as my name to a person who was mad at me at the parking lot one time. Mm. We also named another character in Pandemic, Fop Ockle. <laughs> so. Yes, that comes, I was I was playing grade eight. I had a dream where I was skateboarding with my friend. Mm-hmm. And in my dream, which we neither of us skateboarded. Right. So that was, we had skateboarded slightly when we were kids, right. but not, not much. And so then I I said to him, uh, where are we going? And he said, we're going to Op Fockles. <laughs> when I woke up, that's what I remember. I remembered if that yeah. dream was just that name. And I was like, oh, that is a great name. Hmm. I didn't write it down or anything. It just stuck in my mind yeah. to this day. Interesting. And then one time I was dealing with this really, oh, it was a real trick of a customer. Yeah. So I used to work in a parking lot mm-hmm. where people had to pay a deposit when they came in. Okay. So they'd give, have to give me $5 when they came in. Right. And when they left, I would have to give them the unspent portion, portion of the $5. Okay. Well, as you can imagine, when you start off with a $100 uh, float it disappears immediately because everyone right. gives you 20s yes when they come in and so then you have to give them 15 dollars. yeah and when they go you have to give them more change right so this guy came in and i'm like it's five dollar deposit he's like okay and he opens his wallet and there's a five dollar bill clearly in his wallet and he yeah. gives me a 20 yeah and i said oh would you mind giving me exact change and he goes oh this is all i have i was like okay so when he drove away he wasn't he couldn't see me i just yeah. gave him the bird yeah gave him the middle finger and then the next comes up and he goes um, why did you give that man the finger? I said, oh, he was a bit of a jerk. And she goes, well, that man was my husband. Uh-huh. And I'm going to report you to you, blah, blah, blah. And I want your name. Yeah. I said, okay. It's Ock, O-C-K. She uh-huh. wrote it down very carefully. Fopple, F-O-P-P-L-E. She wrote it all down. I guess she phoned and complained about me. <laughs> probably didn't even bother. She yeah. just got over it. But, uh, and the company probably, when they heard it, went, eh. And they were like, huh. Sounds like a jerk. Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's well, right. I had a dream the other night Uh-oh. where um, the word scenic yes. um, did not exist to describe nice landscapes, okay, but only existed to describe things that were related to John Cena, the wrestler. Makes sense. Yeah. I can see that as a cultural change. Right. I can see that coming very soon. Yeah. It'll be like this weird culture change where people- You're be like, like, oh, that's a scenic man. You go- yeah, you'll be like, what? look at this scenic vista. And you go, I don't think it looks like John Cena at all. Yeah, that's, ex- like, what? What that's do you exactly mean? what happened in my dream. That's <laughs> literally it. Um, but yeah, or you'd be like, oh, that's a very scenic man. And yeah. it looks like, do you look over at him and it's John Cena? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or somebody looks an awful lot yeah. like John Cena. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I can see that taking off. Mm-hmm. I, 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 predict, I predict a different future. We're trendsetters. Future. <laughs> I'm glad that we're getting it you in here it, on the record. Yeah, you heard yeah. it here first, folks. <laughs> when this major change happens, this is going to be bigger than the vowel, the vowel switch that happened in in England mm-hmm. post post uh, American colonization. Okay. Yep. <laughs> we had to think about that. Well, no, I was, I was, I thought you were talking about getting rid of the thorn. No, no, this was um, why English and and Amer- American speakers pronounce their vowels differently. Oh. There was a major. There's this big thing called the vowel switch, or whatever. Right. I can't remember. But that's not, I don't know the exact term for it. But it, like they changed how they pronounce vowels hmm. in England. But because people had separated, were in right. the states, and there was no, you know, audible way of hearing yeah. each other. They, that switch did not occur in the states. Hmm. They so they kept, you know, same same way that the Quebecois speakers were cut because they're cut off from France. They maintained an 
a, a more formal... A more st- archaic way Archaic, of- but also a more formal yeah. style of speech than, than France did. Because mm-hmm. when France went through the, the cultural revolution of the, of, of the, you know, of the revolution, mm-hmm. you know, where they overthrew their arist- aristocrats, mm-hmm. they changed the language then. Right. The language went from being a formal aristocratic language to being a less less formal, although they still kept the the two vu yeah. uh, separation, which is very snobbish. I think it's present in most Romance languages. That was it like, is, yeah. it is. But when Voltaire went to England, I remember reading this in his English letters, um, he talks about uh, meeting the Quakers and how they would tutoyer, uh, use the two form, or the, the mm-hmm. the form when they spoke okay. to each other. Because you, as we use it now, uh-huh. originally was the formal you right. that you said to strangers yeah. or people that you, you know, people yes, didn't but know. But yeah, Quakers well. were not a people of hierarchy. That's right. So they would use it for everyone in the community. That's right. And that's why the Bible uses the familiar as well. So it hmm. uses the, when it's speaking of God, because God is not a is not a, a formal being. He's right. an informal being. So we can yeah. refer to him as family. Mm-hmm. And so it uses the in the Bible. Hmm. When it's talking about God in the King James Bible. Interesting. But we lost that. At some point in the past, the concept we, of God. <laughs> no, we gave up the concept uh, of the idea of 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 you and thee as being right. separate, and, yes. and you became both formal and informal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now it seems very archaic if someone you know made a Quaker and they refer to as thee. Yeah, out of some you know old sense of, right. of tradition, you're like, <laughs> what a weirdo. I don't know what you mean by that, but okay. What a weirdo. But it, yeah. in reality, it was because it it, it, it was about brotherhood or sisterhood. Mm-hmm. They also had female. Uh, preachers. Yes, they did. Which is yeah, they would let anyone speak, which a lot of people found very distasteful. They did. I remember someone Johnson saying something about it. He compared it to a dog walking on its hind legs, hmm. as being that one is uh, something like one is not surprised that they do it, but one is surprised if they do it well. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Of the time. Right. You be witty and a jerk. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You can be. <laughs> All right, dear. So we have a lot of songs today. We do. Because once again. So I'm glad we spent 80 minutes talking about uh, <laughs> talking about vocabulary and birds. <laughs> yeah, that's why I interrupted us. Yeah, uh, because once again, I, I decided to throw in another mini documentary because I just love them so much. It's so much fun to me. The only one. Who I does. know I'm the only one who does like them. <laughs> I get no comments from anyone else. So just kind of like, uh, Dave. Yeah. But that's okay. I'm over here, like, what's that bird? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Blossoms on that tree is looking pretty nice. Sort of come in a bit. Just got my binoculars down. Oh, dad's music, huh? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It's just cool. It's really interesting. Thing you said about that guy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is a little bit. This is a little too true, everyone. <laughs> a little too real for me. Being uncomfortable. Ooh, glad there's only a few more shows to go. This rebellion in the ranks here. <laughs> so, what's our first song, Dad? The end. Uh, talk about the uh, French Revolution. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, we're going to start with uh, Mare. This Mare? Is the, this, I was just saying your name. Oh, okay, yes. I was speaking to you. Yep. I don't know if you're, sorry, you're surprised Wait, by that. Wait, you said we're starting with Mare. Yeah, starting, starting uh, okay, if I have to start being like Victor Borga and putting the no, punctuation no, into just, my sentences. I'm just saying. So we're starting with <laughs> Mare. It was just a weird, <laughs> is weird place this to band name, but okay. called the like. Is that a period? Yes. Okay. Eight. Just clarifying for people who uh, yeah. can't see your <laughs> your arm movements, which well, clarify. They are all familiar with Victor Borgadier and his and his his uh, whatever you call it, his audible uh, punctuation. Sure, sure they are. Uh, so yeah, so this is the lake. Uh, their song. <laughs> what a, 
what I say and what I mean. It's Donald Duck's in here with us. From their album, <laughs> leaning like an italic now. Uh, are you thinking what I'm thinking from 2015? Why was there a comma there? There's a comma after when you say, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, right. It should be a comma there. No. No. Sorry. I re- I'll erase that comma. Okay, thanks. I erased the comment. All right, so this is the, like uh, like I say, from their album, Are You Thinking What I'm Thinking? And the song is called What I Say and What I Mean. Let's give it a listen, you all. I think you'll enjoy it. Walking from the past, but I don't think I've said my goodbyes. Sometimes I just find that they keep sneaking up from the tradition for me to start by asking you what you thought of this song did you enjoy the like did you like or was i I gonna steal your line nope okay did you like the like yes i like the like oh that's good um i like the song a lot Mm -hmm. i listened to it a lot when i was a teenager that's true it's a very like teen angsty song (laughs) so (laughs) that's good you know i appreciated that yeah yeah good stuff it's a good song yeah i do i like this band a lot uh I kind of fell. I bought this one album, and then I kind of they kind of fell out of my under outside of my radar. I guess they're a band of uh, music biz brats. Hmm. 
the, the lead singer, guitar player Zed Berg, was the daughter of a Geffen, Geffen Records executive named Tony Berg. Okay. And then Charlotte Froome, who was the drummer in the band, also provided vocals. She was the daughter of keyboardist producer Mitchell Froome, who I think most famously produced, um, I think their name was Full House, wasn't that the name of the band? Full House? With Tim Finn in it? They did, uh, anyway, he came, you know, to produce that kind of very, very big album in, in its day. And then Tennessee Thomas, which is a great name, by the way. Tennessee Thomas. Tennessee is. Thomas. Uh, it's the daughter of Pete Thomas, uh, Elvis Costello's longtime drummer. Oh. As a drummer in the attractions, basically, since Elvis Costello started his career. Wow. And uh, so Froome and Thomas were childhood friends. And then their parents learned that Berg was writing with songs. They wanted to form a band. And so they're like, well, you girls should all come together and form a band. And so, like, Charlotte Froome had to learn to play the bass two weeks before the band started. So hmm. they all had like some experience playing piano, that taking lessons as, as like for piano. But yeah. they weren't really like pl- they weren't band, pl- you know, they weren't band kids. Right. So they didn't have like so they all kind of take up an instrument that made sense. And it was Thomas's mum who gave the band the name after their uh, teenage use of the word like. Oh. So that and then um, the album was produced by Wendy Melvoyne, another music biz brat, oh. because she. Her father was Mike Melvoin, who was mm-hmm. a jazz pianist, uh, kind of prominent member of the what became known as the Wrecking Crew, the LA kind of session players who famously played on so many songs in the '60s, and also was a very early Moog synthesizer gu- guru. Like if you're going to use a a Moog synthesizer or Moog synthesizer on an album, then you would often call in either Beaver and Krause mm-hmm. or Mike Melvoin, and they would okay. come in and they would program it for you and and show you how it works, mm. and then you could f- play around with it to your heart's content. Her brother, Jonathan Melvoin, played with Smashing Pumpkins. And then her sister, Susanna Melvoin, uh, was the girlfriend of Prince and also was the lead singer for the Prince-backed group, The Family. And then Wendy Melvoin was going out with Lisa Coleman, who performed in The Revolution for Prince. And then when she was visiting her girlfriend, Prince heard her playing guitar. And and when the original guitarist, Des Dickerson, uh, decided not to show up and play one time, Prince invited her to play, and she became a member of the Revolution. And they were both like had a really important part in the group up to a certain point, and then Prince decided that his his authority was being undermined by right. too many too many underlings telling giving him advice. So yeah. he, he broke up the band and and started solo again. Hmm. But yeah, so uh, lots of talent there, and it's a good it's a really good song. It uh, definitely has everything I like in a in a song of that sort, which is kind of snotty. Mm-hmm. Loud guitars, very yep. very nineties, yeah. but, but in a pleasant nineties. Like yes. it's sort of the nineties that I wish had had more prominence. Especially, you know, I work where I work now. There's a kid who's you know much younger than me. He's like thirty one or whatever, and a so kid, his a child, his his a baby, yeah, a baby. <laughs> his ballpark of music is right there, right in the nineties, and so he listens to these serious X XFM or whatever rock yep. XM rock stations, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're all like 90s alternative, so-called alternative rock. And it's just all males grunting over over grinding guitars. And it's really yeah. dull and boring. And it's just, this is an example of music that, you know, along with bands like Sloan and stuff like that, or Local Rabbits, that you wish, you're like, man, why isn't that the, the alternative 90s? Because this just feels so like normal. That's like what everyone was listening to, all that stuff, like Pearl Jam and yep. and, and things. And, and who cares about that now? It's so mm-hmm. boring. But people do care about it. Yep. Judging by that station. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mare, let's leave 2005. I think I said 90s, but 2005. But I still think they're kind of like a carryover of that uh, of the sound of that time period. Yeah, for sure. Definitely uh, heavily influenced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's go to 1967. Okay. Let's listen to uh, one of the great kind of un 
undervalued bands of the 60s, I would say. Mm -hmm. This is The Left Bank. And this is a track from their album clumsily named Walk Away Renee yep. slash Pretty Ballerina, which were okay. two two of the hit songs on the album. So okay. they put the album and put the names of the singles on it, which always drives me crazy. There's a the Merry Go Round album, the only album they put out, is called the title of that album is Live mm-hmm. slash You're a Very Lovely Woman. Right. Which were the two singles that came from that album mm-hmm. and just they make up the title. You would have of liked it. it better if it was Live slash Die slash Repeat. <laughs> you know, I would just like it it was just called the merry-go-round, right. if they're feeling unimaginative, or yeah. going in circles with the merry-go-round, yep. or the merry-go-round play. You know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah. That's like the merry-go-round play some songs. Yeah, or that's pl- that common that common naming convention. Yeah, yeah. This or band playing, plays some songs. Playing with the merry-go-round. Yeah. Something like that, right? Like you mm-hmm. know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Here and we I mean, go. I think that the merry-go-round too gives you a lot of room to be kind of like silly with your yeah. album yeah. name. But instead, you just get this combination, this boring combination of the... It's just weird, you know, like, instead of, like, being called Nevermind, the Nirvana album is called, uh, whatever it's called, Teenage... What is it called? Something Spirit? <laughs> Not Teenage Spirit. Is it called Teenage Spirit? No. Teen Spirit. It smells like Teen Spirit. It smells like Teen Spirit. There you go. Slash other song that was popular yeah. from that album. And it just feels like, you know, you're mm-hmm. missing a chance to be just a, you know, anyway. So, let's listen to The Left Bank from their album, Walk away, Renee slash Pretty Ballerina. This is Barters and Their Wives from 
All right, and we're back. Mayor. Yes. Do you like the left bank? Yeah, I like Walk Away, Walk Away, Renee. It's a great song. Yeah, it's hard to dislike. Yeah. What do you think of this song? What did I think of this song? <laughs> Look at my notes, Dad. I liked it. Oh, good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty sweet. Yeah. It's kind of cute. Yeah. It's like a nice song, and I sounded nice, mm-hmm. you know? No, I wasn't like a... I thought it was very different from the like. Yeah. You know, yeah. very different vibe, mm-hmm. but still good. Yeah. Uh, this is the band that kind of like the term... Baroque rock was co- coined for, and why they didn't call it Baroque, I don't know. They had a chance. Yeah, they, they sure had a did. chance. Yeah, they didn't go for it, but or I guess maybe Baroque pop would be more accurate. And mm-hmm. and this song kind of really exploits the idea of that with having like what sounds like oboes to me playing in the song, you know, doing the the back. We had a very medieval sound to this song, I think. And so obviously they were kind of having fun with that concept that that came out around that time because. You know, the group's use of harpsichord, you know, the string arrangements, the elaborate, elaborate vocal arrangements, which are influenced by the Beatles, Beach Boys, Zombies, you know, her bands they really liked. They all kind of, like, contributed to this sound that was kind of, I think, it was partly, partly marketing, of course, because they, yeah. weren't, they weren't doing something that the Beatles weren't already doing in their with their soundscapes and what, or what the Beach Boys or Zombies were doing already. But, but you know, you got to sell. So Left Bank begins with... Weirdly, not with the person who was like the main songwriter with the group, but with this guy who was named uh, Tim Tom Finn, and he not Tim Finn. I was almost a Tim Tim Finn because I was still thinking about Crowded House. I wanted to call him Full House earlier, everyone. Crowded House. Yeah, it was like the the sitcom from the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Crowded House did that song that originated the term "Oh My Lanta." Don't dream it's over. You know, say now, say now. Don't dream it's. Over. Sounds like a bad song. <laughs> no, it's really good, actually. Okay. They were the ones that kind of ruined music for a while in the 90s because they were so... <laughs> you know, it's a really good song. It's it is a really good great song. song. They did ruin music. No, no, no. Music. Not because of that song. <laughs> in maybe the 80s, they started it because they were so talented. Yeah. They would go to school into like a TV, like a, to say, Much Music or MTV, yeah. and they would bring their instruments along with them. Mm-hmm. And they were so talented, they could just sit in like the chairs and reproduce their music so wonderfully. Right. And everyone's just like... Ugh. These guys are so great. Yeah. And they're like, everyone should be doing this. Mm. Let's make unplugged things where people bring in acoustic guitars right. and sing, and yeah. it'll be just as great as Crowded House. Yeah. And then it's not. It's like if people were like, oh, this one, who's that really talented musician we talked about last time who played every instrument? Oh, Emmett Rhodes? Yeah. If they were like, oh, Emmett Rhodes, he plays every instrument. We should... Like make this <laughs> musician who's, who's also really popular. We should make yeah. We should make everyone play every instrument on their when they're doing music. Yeah, like right, that yeah. would make way more sense to do that because he's right. so good at yeah. it and he's great. So let's make everyone do that. Like no, people have different talents and that's fine. <laughs> you know that'd be good. That'd be good. Grand Eric Clapton. Eric, I have this great idea. Oh, what's that? I want you to uh, play the drums in this song. What? I want you to like play the drums on this song. Me play drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then you're going to play bass. Oh, oh, okay. And I think in banjo? Whoa, I, don't, I don't play the banjo. It's okay, Eric. We'll figure it out. You're so talented. You're so... You're You'll just pick it up. Yeah. I'll pick it up. You know what I think this part needs? The recorder. I got one in my car. I'll bring it in. You can play it. Oh, I... So, um... There's a... This is a podcast I like quite a bit where they talk. Is it called Listening Party? Nope. Where oh. they, they talk. they it, It's defunct. It's now defunct, which makes me very sad. They only went Listening Party's defunct? No, this other podcast. I am sad. <laughs> and, um, and they were talking about this dating show 
from okay. Ireland okay. where you have like a panel of like 30 people, 30 women. Okay. And then one guy comes out and tries to like sell himself. And then the women can like choose to like buzz out yeah. or to stay in. And then one person gets to go on a date with him, like the last person standing. Wow. Um, or no one, no one does. And they were talking about this one guy who came out and had like, he was wearing a suit and it was like, some people like come out and like, you get like a few people who are like, no, see, so, yeah, like they say like, cause it's from Ireland, yeah, you know? Yeah. So they'll say like, oh, I'm from Derry. And a bunch of people were like, nope, I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here. Like I'm from, I'm from Dublin. I can't date someone from Derry, yeah, yeah. you know, or like whatever. <laughs> and this guy came out in a suit yeah. and he was talking about himself and everyone was like, oh, I like this guy. I like this guy. And then they have to display a talent. Uh-oh. And he came out with a saxophone <laughs> and played <laughs> and played not very well. The saints are marching home or whatever. The saints go marching in. The saints go marching in. Do, 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 and do. they're like, oh, well, like you, you're doing saxophone is your thing. Like how long have you been playing saxophone? And he said one month. <laughs> he was like, why don't you go on national television? <laughs> he, had no other, he had no other interest, man. He, was gonna be, he knew he was going to be on this show. Yeah. And so he had to learn to play an one of the One of the hosts of the show was like, I'm pretty sure he just had one lesson and all he learned was how to play the Saints Go Marching In and then he just practiced that for the rest of the month. Sure. <laughs> so I was like, oh, to be that man's roommate for that month. You were being generous with how it sounded. <laughs> yeah, probably. I was being more of a trumpet thing. Yeah. So that's always my joke is that I, you know, I, I always wanted to play a guitar and stuff like that, but I just didn't have the patience mm-hmm. and the self-discipline to learn to play guitar as a, as a kid. That's funny because my boyfriend plays guitar mm. and he doesn't have For any now. of those. For now. He's been playing since he was a kid. Oh, he doesn't okay. have any of those. Oh, he have any no, he's been playing guitar for like 15 years. Oh, wow. That's good. No. Well, longer. So yeah, anyway. no, I just never had the, I mean, I played it for, I played it for like four years as a teenager, but I just, you know, I just never advanced beyond a certain stage of, mm-hmm. of noise. And, uh, and I always joke that, you know, I learned to play trumpet and band, which is like the perfect social instrument because, you know, who doesn't love it at a party when someone whips out the, <laughs> the trumpet and starts to play so we can have a sing-along. <laughs> Come on, everyone, sing along. <laughs> we can't hear ourselves. <laughs> yep. Get out of here! <laughs> you're like, hey, I can. You're like, hey, do you guys know this song Wonderwall? And they're like, oh, I know this guy. And then you pull out a trumpet. They're like, what? That would be the worst. I can't even think of. <laughs> Such a boring, monotonous song. Doesn't even like. You wouldn't even have to like use your embouchure to play that song. You wouldn't have to go any higher than you. Just the same. You're my wonder. Come on, everyone, sing along. Oh, one up. Go marching. Oh, but then also one last thing about that sure. about that episode. Sure. Uh, one of the girls buzzed him out because she said, I'm also learning the fiddle. <laughs> and I just think it would be too much in one house. <laughs> yes. I think he could have said, I'm not serious about the saxophone. I'm just doing this because I was required to have a talent yeah. for this thing. And I, it was too, too short a time to learn card tricks. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, I was just, I was just re- re-listening to that podcast the other day, and I was like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Anyway. The Left Bank. The Left Bank. So, yeah, I was going to say it begins with uh, this guy who's a guitarist slash bassist slash vocalist named Tom Finn, who sang in a vocal group called the Castells, sort of like a, you know, a second wave doo-wop group of the of New York City mm-hmm. of that time period, uh, sort of in 1964. And in 1964, he played a show with a group called the Morticians, which is a great name, uh, which featured guitarist drummer George Cameron. And what blew Tom Finn away was the fact that the Morticians blew the Castells away on stage. Like hmm. the Castells got like a, you know, they did their thing, you know, whatever, you know, run around Sue or stuff like that. And then and you know they got this kind of mild smattering of applause, and then the, the morticians come out. These long-haired rockers come out, and the audience, the girls, just went crazy in the audience. Right. And Tom Finn was just like, "Okay, I've seen the future," and huh. so he quickly became friends with George Cameron. And then he left the Castells, and he joined a more rocking group called the Magic Plants, um, who were assigned to MGM Verve. And the Magic Plants would put out one single on Verve called "I'm I'm a Nothing," and before breaking up. But what was important was the group was produced. And managed by a company called World United, which was run by Harry Lukowski, was his name. And he was a well-known studio violinist and a producer who ran his own recording studio in Midtown, New York City. And so Lukowski's son, whose name was Michael Brown, who I guess he wisely decided to not call himself Michael Lukowski if he was looking to have a music career in rock and yeah. roll. He was working as an apprentice engineer at the studio. And so... Um, Tom Finn was kind of hanging around that studio and doing doing session work and stuff like that. And then he met this singer named Steve Martin outside of a Rolling Stone concert. And he told Martin that Lukowski studio needed session vocalists and he should come on down there to see if he'd get some work. And so he, Finn, Martin, and Cameron started hanging around the studio and they would like, you know, sing songs and harmonize. And, and then Michael Brown started like playing piano with them and, and, you know, and they sing like Beatles songs and zombie songs and Beach Boy songs and stuff like that. And just, you know, kind of uh, cut their teeth on, 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 you know, just trying to learn the, the idea of writing s- stuff. And then they started writing their own songs mm-hmm. and, and sort of working up their own songs at, at one point. And so then Michael Brown's dad, Harry Lukowski started acting as the band's manager and produce and publisher. He started producing the sessions and then he shopped the songs around to you know various record labels, but he didn't find any interest. So the band kind of, I won't say it ended, but it kind of took a pause. Michael Brown left New York City and moved to California for a while. And so then the rest of the group was left to finish this one song that they had recorded the backing tracks to, but hadn't done any of the vocal work, which was Walk Away Renee. Hmm. And Walk Away Renee was one of three songs written around that same time period. They were all inspired by Tom Finn's girlfriend, whose name was Renee Flatten. Okay. And I guess Michael Brown was totally smitten with her. Hmm. And I guess pretty lucky that it didn't seem to bother either Renee Flatten or Tom Finn because they didn't. Yeah. there was no like big ruction that broke up the band. Right. But he wrote Walk Away Renee. Mm-hmm. He wrote Pretty Ballerina. And mm-hmm. he wrote She May Call You Up Tonight, all, all from uh, this, this uh, infatuation. Hmm. And so while he was gone, the group did the vocal arrangements and uh, added the drum track and just basically finished off the song. So Lukowski's like, well, this is this song's great. So we've got to like, someone's got to like this song. And so he took it like to a half a dozen different companies. No one thought it was worth, you know, releasing. Oh, wow. Until they got to uh, Mercury slash Smash Records. Mm-hmm. And this executive at Mercury Records, this guy named Charlie Fack, just said, he just said uh, three three words. He said, I like it. 
And that was enough in those days to get your all record. Right, get your record you made. <laughs> so that's all you needed in those times when it was just throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Walkaway Renee was really successful. And then Pretty Ballerina was also very successful. What that did, though, is it drove the band out into the road. And, you know, the accompanying pressure and road weariness began to drive the band apart. Michael Brown, he was only 16 years old at the time. Like, no way was he prepared to, like, the grueling life of, you know, he hadn't even worked a, a real job. Yeah. You know, so he had no idea that like sitting on a bus and and living in motels for six months of the year was much more preferable than working at a donut store, you know, selling coffee and donuts yeah. to customers, you know. So his his feeling was like, you know what, I don't want to tour. I'm just going to be like Brian Wilson, like Brian Wilson does. I'm just going to sit in this, you know, be, I'll stay at home and, and just make songs in the studio. The rest of the band was like, uh, no, because we don't want to be on the road either. Like... If, you, if you're not going to do it, we don't want to do it. And so they just got into this big fight. And then uh, it they basically broke into two factions. The vocalists, Finn, Martin, and Cameron, versus Michael Brown, the instrumentalist, songwriter. You know? And so, like, so, you know, they're obviously they're fighting about the fact that Brown didn't want to go on the road. Brown's dissatisfaction of the live sound they were getting. And the other rest, rest of the band felt kind of resentful of the fact that they were being managed by Brown's dad, who they thought was was giving, you know, had an unfair bias towards towards Brown in this dispute. So Brown, you know, obviously feeling certain that he, as a songwriter and main, main you know, piano player, mm-hmm. was the left bank, decided to form his own version of the group. And so he put together his own version of the group that featured uh, this vocalist named Bert Summer, uh, who, um, and then uh, the actor-musician Michael McKean. Do you know Michael McKean, dear? No. He, well, he played Lenny on the Laverne and Shirley show. He was in Spinal Tap. I've never seen and any of those. He was uh, he's um, Saul Goodman's brother in Better Call Saul as well. Oh, okay. I watched some of be- I've watched some of the first season of that show. Okay, and so yeah, so so they did a they put out a single that's um, called Ivy Ivy, back with a song called And Suddenly, which was then issued by you know Smash Mercury because they just assumed, oh, this is a left bank doing another song. Well, then the rest of the band started launching lawsuits against Michael Brown and against Mercury Records for putting out a, a song that they didn't perform on because they're also the left bank. And so then the label's like, oh, oh, so they withdrew all their support for the song. Hmm. Radio stations didn't know what the heck was going on. So they they stopped supporting it. And the, right. the single you know, made, made it about as high as 98. Hmm. So now the band did reconcile. Brown and the band did reconcile long enough to record two songs. One was Desiree. And the other was in the morning light, but because of all the legal trouble and infighting, the band had totally lost its momentum. And radio was unwilling to promote them because they didn't know what was going on. And Desiree, even though I think it's one of their best songs, was not even didn't even get a look in in the top 100. And then this time Brown left for good. But I'm going to play Desiree, okay? Because I think this is a really good song, and I don't know how common it is for people to hear it. I think I'm sure that anyone out there who likes music and loves 60s music as much as I do knows. At least Walk Away Renee, if not Pretty Ballerina. But Desiree and some of the other songs, I think, kind of flown under the radar. So I just want to play this. This is uh, Desiree, which um, was the single. It came out in 1968 as a, as a single on Smash, uh, back with uh, a song from their first album, uh, uh, I've Got Something on My Mind, which is also a really good song. A li- little bit more Beatly than Desiree. So, although D- Beatly is a good description of all their stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's li- give a listen to Desiree.
after that song, after the failure of that song, Brown left the left bank for good. He uh, he left the left bank? Yes, he quit the group for good, and now the group was a trio, because they'd also shed some other members along the way, and so the group brought in this guy named Tom Fair to take Brown's place at the piano, And but Fair already had a connection to the group, because he had co-written a bunch of songs with Brown on the first album, and so they kind of already knew him and, and knew you know that he was a proven a proven song resource as well, because they were losing Michael Brown, their main songwriter. They started working on a second album for, for Mercury. The album was produced by a fellow named Paul Lecca, or Lika, who was pretty hot from producing the Lemon Piper's Green Tambourine, which he also co-wrote. And so he was able to provide some excellent arrangements for for what became the Left Bank 2, double O, T, double O. And then the other band members... Uh, also stepped up and provided some excellent songs for the album. Unfortunately, the band's forward momentum, Mary, had been stopped dead by all the controversies. Like just, they weren't getting any support from their, their label, let alone from radio stations and stuff like that. Just, they were just such an unknown quantity by this point. And I mean, so songs like... I'm going to play a song now called There's Going to Be a Storm, which I think is so excellent that I can't even believe that it's probably very little known outside of like uh, fanatical left bank circles. And it's it's just like such a great song that it's really sad that it just didn't make it outside of this sort of uh it couldn't escape the the gravity of of where the band was the band was just like a black hole that was this couldn't it, nothing it couldn't uh nothing could reach escape velocity to escape the situation right. they're in let's give a listen now to there's going to be a storm so this song was written and sung by tom finn the guitarist slash bassist for the group also a lot of vocals and what's what where they're really lucky as a band was that even at this point they were still recording in harry lakowski's studio which because of the fact that it was run by the person who was sort of quasi managing them Mm -hmm. they had this sort of unlimited resources that allowed for them to to experiment and to build up these great vocal arrangements and stuff like that so anyway let's give a let's give a listen to there's going to sorry not going to there's gonna be a storm here we go Sit back and dream 
Alright, and we're back, and Mary, maybe you'll agree with me that that's kind of sad, that song just kind of disappeared. Yeah, it's a really good song. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's sad when uh, bands, this, you know, still have that talent, but if, what, uh, circumstances, and partly it's their own their own doing, of course, because they're all fighting with each other and really, you know, sabotaging. Sabotaging. Yeah, yeah. sinking their own boat. They kind of, they kind of did it, did themselves in. One thing that was interesting, uh, there, someone, po- I guess mom maybe posted recently on Facebook, a link to a viewing of this um, penthouse in New York City that was owned by the Woolworth family. Oh, yeah. It's like a $79 million mm-hmm. a five-story penthouse. This there, and I, was, I was looking at it, and I was thinking to myself, man, that looks like the cover of The Left Bank 2. And so then when I was reading about this, it mentioned that the photos for the album were, some of the, the photos for the album cover yeah. were taken inside the Woolworth mansion. Hmm, cool. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's why I look familiar. <laughs> Funny. So after that, the band basically broke up after that, except... Hmm. Uh, there was a one-off single featuring just Michael Brown yeah. and Steve Martin together. They put did one as the Left Bank, but it was just them. The rest of the band were par- a part of it because the rest of the bank was no more. And the problem with the single, it's called My- Myra, but the problem with the single is that it just has Steve Martin singing on it. So you don't get that wonderful vocal mix of the of their, you know, of the whole group singing together because that's right. part of the magic, I think, of the Left Bank is that fabulous vocal or the vocal arrangements and stuff. So Brown, of course, who had envisioned himself as sort of a, a Brian Wilson to the left bank, was now able to live out that dream with a different group. He kind of took this group called the called Montage under his wing. They were a New Jersey-based group. And so he wrote all the songs, or most of the songs, with help from Burt Summer and Tom Fair. He played keyboards. He provided the vocal charts and produced the group. And you could almost call it the album The Left Bank 3, if it wasn't for some of the some weakness in the group's vocal delivery, they're not terrible, but they're not great. One thing that I thought was interesting was the album was re- was released by Laurie Records, and it was recorded in uh, Laurie Records' kind of home studio, which is called the Legro uh, Sound Studios. And what was interesting about that studio is if you were the engineer there, you had to know the train, the subway train system. Oh, okay. You had to know this time schedule because mm-hmm. there was a, a, tr- a line that ran directly underneath the studio. Right. And so you had to know when the train was coming so you wouldn't be recording when that car passed by. Otherwise, it would make a bunch of noise and huh. would interrupt the recordings. So yeah, made it kind of interesting. That's cool. So we're going to play a song from Montage. It's like when I worked at the camp on the island. Yeah. And um, it was helpful to know the tide schedule. Okay. So that you would know if like it was going to be high tide or low tide when a boat was coming in. Okay. Because one of those was much better than the other one <laughs> much better so it was like a like a stationary dock yeah. with a ramp down to a floating dock okay i see and if it was low tide the floating dock would be very steep yeah and if it was high tide then the floating dock could be like just like a light incline mm, mm. yeah one preferable to the other for bringing look at luggage and stuff like yeah that absolutely <laughs> all right so let's listen to montage now this is song is called uh, grand pianist Mm-hmm. from the album, which is just called Montage, which came out in 1969. So this is, Michael Brown is not singing, although he didn't really sing anyway. He's just playing, he wasn't even a member of the group. He's not even considered a member of the group. He's just the producer, but he's playing uh, keyboards. He wrote all the, most of the songs, or at least co-wrote all the songs. And uh, so let's give a listen to to uh, Grand Pianist from Montage. Thank you. 
And another wonderful song from Michael Brown, grand pianist from Mont- the Montage album. Uh, came out in 1969. Mary, good song, right? Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, I think and the lyrics are kind of interesting. Just, you know, maybe writing about himself a little bit as someone who can change change the world with music, or at least attempt to, anyhow. There's another song that I love in there called uh, Song is Love, but this song was more... Song, song is Love is more kind of sunshine pop, whereas this song is kind of more in line with like a left bank sound, so I chose this one instead. So in 1971, Brown reunited with Finn, Martin, and Cameron to record two songs for a movie called Hot Parts. And I'm sorry, I did not look up what Hot Parts was about, Mary, so maybe you could do that if you wouldn't mind. But the two songs were issued as a single by Buddha Records, but strangely, not as the left bank. So maybe there was still some contractual problems that precluded them from being being called the left bank but this was credited to just to steve martin the singer so not the comedian not the comedian no in fact steve martin started calling himself steve martin caro later in life he took his because steve martin was his real name martin was a his real last name was caro c-a-r-o okay and so he's actually from he's actually from Spain. He'd moved to New York. Hmm. Basically, he just moved to New York when he met Tom Finn right. outside of the Rolling Stones. So concert. wait, was his real first name Esteban? I don't believe so. It was. Okay. Uh, I think his mom was uh, English and his dad oh, was Spanish. Okay, okay. Yeah, and when he came to New York, his dad died like six months later after they came to New York. Oh wow! So, yeah, yeah. And then he met Tom Finn shortly after that. So he wasn't even in New York that long before he was singing and playing with uh, with everyone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's give a listen to uh, one of the songs from this single. This song is called Love Songs in the Night. And if you're interested in the song, it's available on a single, but nowhere else. Or on the soundtrack to Hot Parts, which is probably an uh, easier way to find it. Um, but anyway, let's give a listen to, to basically the left bank and Love Songs in the Night. <laughs>
the warm sounds of vinyl. That, so yeah, that was that was Steve Martin and the rest of Michael Brown, Tom Finn, George Cameron, doing a single. I guess that came out, like I said, on Buddha Records. After that, the restless Brown moved on again, as he was wont to do. It seemed like he nothing could contain his creative interest for very long before he was on to something else. So he was then introduced to a singer whose name was Ian Lloyd, but his actual name was Lor- Lloyd Buon Consiglio, or Good Advice. And the two were introduced by their fathers, because Ian Lloyd's father, whose name was Peter Buon Consiglio, played session violin as well. And so he knew Harry Lukowski from them working together. And I guess he mentioned that his son was a singer, and Lukowski said, well, my son's a piano player. Maybe they should uh, get together, and maybe they can work something up and so they did get together they decided they're going to do sort of like a beatlesque project they called the band stories and they recorded two albums before brown left once again to pursue other interests and then the band had its biggest hit after he left they did a cover of hot chocolate's brother louis but that was recorded after he'd gone and so he never really got to enjoy the fruits of of that success that's a bummer yeah but I guess he got what he wanted out of it, and he moved on, as always. So um, this is from Story's first album, which came out in 1972. This song is called Take Cover, and it's a little bit like the last song. It's not quite like a Left Bank song anymore. It's more kind of like, kind of in the more of the 70s idiom of the time period. But let's give a listen to Take Cover from the first Story's album. To survive, you know. 
All right, so that was uh, that was stories with Take Cover. What do you think of that song, Mary? It was okay. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. just kind of a you know seventies power pop kind of sound there, early seventies power pop kind of reminiscent of the, that the, that time period. Like I say, Brown left Stories in seventy three, and so it was a, quite a while later. It was about three years later, in nineteen seventy six, that Brown's final major label release came out and this and this was uh, kind of a weird one he met up with a couple of guys who had moved to new york city from kansas city and they came to new york obviously to try to uh break into a larger market and so they t- so i guess michael brown maybe they are maybe they knew who the left who the left bank was and they're like honored to work with michael brown or well, i don't know how it worked but but anyway he joined joined with him they wrote a bunch of songs together he and a guy named gary hodgson who played in the group as well so there's two lead singers in the group gary hodgson and another guy named scott trusty and Scott Trusty. Scott Trusty. Yeah, sounds like a fake name. Uh, maybe, maybe. And so this is a, I think, a beautiful song from the album, which was called the Beckys. That was the name of the group. They called themselves the Beckys. Uh, strictly like a power pop unit of the time period. And I, when I bought this album, I got it at I think I found it at the Selly Ann in Abbotsford, Mayor. And I just bought it because I liked the cover. Yeah. I just thought, oh, a 1976 album with a cover like this, it's got to be good. <laughs> so I bought it, and then it wasn't until I was looking at the back cover. Later on, that I realized that it was Michael Brown that was on, and then I was really curious if it was the Michael Brown from from the Left Bank, and it was, and I was more than pleased that I found this record because it's a fairly rare thing. So let's give a listen to the song uh, "On the Morning That She Came." This is from the Beckys, uh, one album that they did, which came out on Sire Records in 1976. So let's give a listen, everyone. <laughs> She came. I was standing in the doorway, looking wet from all the rain. Her long hair was falling down. She was smiling as she spoke to me. I still can hear the sound of my love. Together, running through the grass, filling every day with laughter. Oh, I'd found my love at last. We'd stay awake Through the window came the sunlight Calling for another day
So that was Michael Brown and the Beckys. And uh, what would you think of that, Mare? It was a nice song. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Eh? I kind of chose... There's peppier songs on the album. I just chose that one because it, it kind of makes me think of the left bank a little bit and the instrumentation and mm-hmm. the, the way it's been put together. So, But, it, you know, a little different style, of course, because it's a different era. Yep. But that was his. That was Michael Brown's final, final uh, kind of major label thing. I was reading an interview with him a while ago, and he was talking about how he was composing songs at home, and you know he's going to do something with them, blah blah blah. But that must be kind of frustrating because he wasn't a performer. I mean, he did play the piano and stuff like that, but he wasn't a singer. He didn't contribute anything to the vo- to the vocals. You know, he didn't. Right. You know, so it must be kind of frustrating to be a, a songwriter but not have a voice that you could. Uh, well, I mean, not everyone wants to perform, right? Well, that, I mean, that's, maybe that's part of it. He just, he, you know. We've definitely talked about that with other artists who mm-hmm. really enjoy making music, but don't like the... the grind. Like, not the grind, but the sort of public aspect of it. Where sure. it was like the like the actual performing in front of people mm-hmm. they struggled, mm-hmm. was the thing that they struggled with. Yeah. Where they were like really talented at creating music, but just didn't like being in front of people. Sure, sure. And yeah, and it... The music system is kind of um, unsympathetic to that attitude yes. because so much of it is, you know, so much of the money is made in the public appearances mm-hmm. and things like made that. Made by people sitting on MTV with an acoustic guitar and playing their song. <laughs> Looking at you, Eric Clapton. <laughs> yeah, as the guy that put the, uh, can't think of it, I was going to put the boring into something, but I can't think of anything. He put the boring into his own music. That's what he did. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure people out there disagree with me. I know everyone loved that album. I do think the Nirvana one was was a, a success. Just because it was sort of interesting to hear them, um, you know, kind of take their music and not just rely on like the the loud, soft dynamics of, of the, the sort of grunge t- uh, template, but have right. to like kind of uh, find the find the melody in their songs. Mm-hmm. And then they really. Like a great job of uh, with um, David Bowie's "The Man Who Sold the World," which I always thought before I heard their version that that David Bowie's version kind of undersold the 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 riff in that song. Oh, okay. And whereas Nirvana was like, "Here's the riff." That's where I guess maybe that's what they were so good at, you know, as a band was that finding you know how much noise they're making. They just knew, oh, here's the hook to the song, right? You know, and David Bowie and was, I mean, like, was like, hook, "Let's bury the hook." A hook is what often makes a song memorable. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah, like yeah. that. Like when people think of famous songs, they usually don't start at the beginning. They usually start at the chorus, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or whatever. The, or like whatever the hook, the, right? Yeah, the thing the, that is like sure, that sure. part of the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that sticks in people's minds for sure, for sure. Okay, well, I, that's the end of that's the end of that mini doc. I hope people enjoyed that little trip down Left Bank Lane mm-hmm. and uh, enjoyed hearing some uh, music maybe you've never heard before. Or bands you maybe didn't know about, mm-hmm. and then the history of you know cause I think a lot of people know the Left Bank, but maybe don't know the whole uh, right backstory history of Michael yeah. Brown. Right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And now, yep, let's go back. Let's go to song number three <laughs> on her <laughs> actual mixtape, rather yep. than the millions of songs we've been playing uh, between them. So, um, Mayor, yes, just one question for you: mm-hmm. Are my notes behind me? Yep. If I reach behind me, I'll, I'll grab them? No, I don't think you can. They're on your little table. No, nope. uh, uh, nope. Getting there? Am I close? Not at all. Close, close, Not pretty, at all. Pretty close, I think right? you're going to have to turn around. I think. Okay, how about if I reach this way? Nope. Can I reach them this way? Nope. Getting close? Nope. How about here? Nope. Now? Can't? Right you're, there. You're there. But oh, I... yeah, I got it. 
You did knock a bunch of stuff down, and you had to turn your chair around anyway, but... <laughs> it's all good, everyone. Yeah. All good. It's the problem with something is directly behind you. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. All right. Next song, Meredith. This is song number three. Did we say that? Yep, so you this did. Is song number three. Song number three. Uh, what song is it? Sorry. Number three. Oh right. So uh, this is the Kingsbury Manx. The song is called "Regular Hands." It comes from their very first album, which was self-titled. The Kingsbury Manx came out in the year two thousand. Hmm. So let's give a listen. One and all. Thank you. 
And we're back, and Mary. Yes? Time for you to voice your opinion on a band whose name is a bit of a mystery to me. Yeah, it's strange. The Kingsbury Manx. A Manx is a cat, right? M-A-N-X? Yeah. Yep. Is it a cat that doesn't have a tail, or is it just like a specific breed of cat? I think that it's a specific type of cat. So you can't turn any cat into a Manx just by cutting off its tail. I don't so think, I think that's cruel. just animal abuse. Well, what if you're spinning it? By its uh-huh. tail, and it accidentally comes off. Is it then a Manx? That's definitely animal abuse. Okay. Uh, it's a breed of domestic cat. Yes. Uh, originating on the Isle of Man. Ah! It has a naturally occurring mutation that shortens the tail. Okay. It used to be called Mano, but then people decided that wasn't politically correct until they call it Manx. Well, it used to be called Manos. Manos. Hands of fate. <laughs> and it uh, <laughs> would walk around with strange prosthetics on its legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, so what do you think of the song, dear? It's a cute cat though. Oh, is it a cute cat? Yeah. Does it have got... does it have the folded down ears? Nope. Well, no, no, you're thinking of a Scottish fold. Oh. And now is that a cat whose ears you make by by ironing them? I don't think so. You can't iron the ears down and make it no. any cat into Again, a Scottish fold. I think fold? that's just animal abuse. Um I do I do just one last thing about Manx. Yeah. Yes. According to the Wikipedia page, common nicknames sure. for the Manx. Yeah. Stubbin. Okay. And Rumpy. <laughs> Because they don't have a tail, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was right. Sometimes they, they just have a, have a stub of a tail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or they don't have a tail at all. Yes. But it's it's natural. It's not. That's from people spinning them on the island of Man. No, and it's not. It's no, a well-known it's, thing it's there. It's natural. It's not like with uh It's a famous festival every it's year. It's not like with, the what are those Doberman pinchers or whatever, where they, no, you know. No, you're wrong. But they do every year. pit bulls or <laughs> they corgis, have a, They have a contest. Boxers. They have a contest every year to see how much clutter they can put in a room and you can still uh uh, what's it called? You can still this thing you could do like with a cat, right? People say you couldn't, you couldn't spin a cat or something like that. <laughs> you can't, this room is so full of you know junk that uh-huh. I couldn't spin a cat yep. over my head. Uh huh. Is that what it is? Is that the expression? Nope. No. What is it? What is the expression? Um, I've been put it out of your head now, haven't I? Yeah, it's hard to remember an expression when someone keeps saying it wrong, <laughs> but right beside you. <laughs> Oh, there's not enough room to... Oh, throw a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I'm not helping. There's not enough room to iron a cat. To swing a cat. Swing a cat. Not enough room to swing a cat. That's what they do on the Isle of of Man. Uh Uh-huh. They have a contest and they make a room more and more cluttered and see how much much spinning they can do. Wait, is that what you said? Spinning? Spinning a cat? Swing. Swing. a cat. (laughs) Which apparently is actually in reference to a cat of nine tails. Oh, so not... we're talking about abuse of sailors, not abuse of cats. <laughs> oh, horrible abuse of sailors! Mm-hmm. All right, so Mayor, can I? Yeah, because it was below deck. There was no room to yield the whip, so the punishment was administered on deck, which afforded sufficient room to swing the cat. Oh, you don't even want to think about that stuff. Nope, it's just horrid, horrid, awful, horrid, awful. Okay, what do uh, you think of this song, though? I like the song. Oh, good. Yeah. good. I'm glad, we, glad we got there. After you wanted to iron a cat. I did not want to iron a cat. That's not how you make a Scottish fold, dear. No. A, a Scottish fold is a uh, Scottish taco. I don't even support docking tails or ears on dogs for you aesthetic purposes. You don't you don't support it? No. How about I think for convenience? Do you then, I think you if it's it functional, then? then it's okay. Yeah. But if it's for aesthetics... Or to like fit the look of a breed, I yeah. don't agree with it. I think you're right. I think dogs need a tail; they can wiggle. Yeah, well, like often boxers, people will dock their tail because they um, tend to be very high energy, and they whip their tail to get things and break their tail. Oh, okay. And I think in that case, it's sure. okay. Sure. But if you're just like, I have a boxer, so I want him to have the dock tail. I don't. I don't like that. Hmm. So 
this band is pretty new. Okay. And they haven't done very much. So all I'm going to say well, about them... Well, they're at them, least 25 years old. I know, but that's a weird thing, right? Like, band, modern bands have weird careers. Mm-hmm. You know, so these guys form in 2000. Uh, they're from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Okay. That's where they're from. So they've, since the year 2000 till now, they seem to be still together. I was looking, I looked on them on their Facebook page, mm-hmm. and they still seem to be a group. Right. Like, they still have an active Facebook page. And, but they have that kind of thing of re- the resting band syndrome, where everyone's doing other things besides being in the band they're in. Kind of, kind of thing Sloan's going through right now. Yeah. Resting band syndrome. Like, everyone's doing, like, those little solo shows. Or right. starting their own kind of side projects mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is so hypocritical, because I, I was watching an interview with Chris Murphy when he was on KEXP down in Seattle. They did, like, a live show at... Uh, uh, you know, like a video show kind of thing. Played some songs from their that uh, from Commonwealth when they were there. Okay. And he was talking about Eric Strip, and he was saying that he felt like that band had a lot of potential, but they kind of squandered it because as soon as they were assigned to Sub Pop, one of the guys in the band started a different band called Elevator Through, and was so he was he was kind of divvying up his songs between two bands. And, right. And Chris Murphy felt that was you know, destructive to a band and that mm-hmm. b- band should always be like, you know, focusing their best material to that band. Yeah. And then two years later, he's formed a different little group and he's playing with some friends in a side project. And mm. like, what were you saying? <laughs> Chris Murphy, yeah. hypocrite. But anyway. I mean, I think that, well, just Rest, talking, resting bands just talking them. right at this Im- immediate moment in time. Yeah. It is possible that COVID is preventing some people from getting together. Yeah. Based yeah. on where they live. Sure, sure. Right. Sure. Yeah, I just think that's what I think right now is everyone's suffering from resting. But anyway, so so their last album came out in two thir- 2013. I just think people have weird weird careers now. Like, you know, like, I, I don't expect people to be, like, pumping stuff out, like, at Beatles level of the mm-hmm. er- early 60s where they're doing two two albums a year and four singles that weren't on the albums. Yeah. That, you know, that's just madness. But, you know, like, maybe a two-year schedule? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, realistically, the cost of living has risen a lot. Yeah. And I think that it's likely that people have other jobs. Yeah. Need to live to have jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like historically, it wait, was... so need to have jobs to live. Uh huh. Yes. That one, that way. Um, whereas historically, oh, no, you are correct. You do yeah. need to live to have a job. Yeah. There's very few dead people yes. working. Yeah. That's right now. True. Just the crypt keeper. Just, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Although I think he, I don't think he's currently active. Well, you know, it's his, Punishment. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to another song. So okay. Since we don't have much to say about. Yeah. The King's Remix. Although I love that song. I kind of think it's like to me. It's sort of like I don't know country psych almost. Like it's just kind of it has like a kind of a psychedelic element to it. Yeah, I can see that. And it's but it's what's really fun when you're. Doing that song, everyone, is to create your own create your own harmony part in the song. Because there's lots of space in there where you can just kind of do your own thing. And I, I've been doing that lately while listening to it. It's just sort of singing my own little harmony bit in, in the middle of the song. <laughs> it's quite fun. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could play, be playing an instrument with this song because I actually have like a really good part to add to the song. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure they would appreciate my phoning them and telling them that. Probably. Hey, guys, I got a great idea for your song from 2000. <laughs> All right, next song, Mary. So yes. I mentioned a while ago... A few shows ago, anyway, that when I was younger, I used to go to a record store near my home, good old Reminiscing Records, which I worked at briefly. Is that what it's called, or is that you reminiscing about records? No, it was called Reminiscing Records, oh, okay. yeah. And so they sold old and new, and the, and the guy the guy who ran the store, Al, he um, had a good, like, he had a good uh, pipeline into various supplies, 
you know, suppliers to get records, you know. So he knew people who worked at radio stations. And when radio stations were clearing out their libraries because they weren't playing records anymore, he, like, would bring him into the store. And so, he, and so you know, some of the records would be kind of obscure, and he wouldn't... So he wouldn't price them very high. This is pre-internet, you know, so you could only really right. sell something for what it was worth, where it was being sold. You couldn't, like... I mean, it's the same now, unless you want to sell it on eBay. Well, that's what I mean, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. pre-internet, so... So, yeah, like, lots of stores will sell stuff online... And so the prices in the store reflect that they also will sell them online. Right. But his store, you know, there's this is pre those days. So he would often have like these kind of cool psychedelic records or cool like late sixties, early seventies records, and they were five dollars. Right. Which was you know, a little was a little expensive for a yeah. used one, but not that much. It was only like a dollar more than you're paying yeah. at the time for, for a used record. And so if I saw one that looked interesting to me, I would buy it. That's how I got like the Nova Local, for instance, and this group as well, uh, who are called uh, Bloomsbury People. I just like the cover. And I decided it looked interesting, and I and I bought it. Although it had the warning of being on MGM Records, which I always think is like a bad sign for a band. Like I don't know what was wrong with that record label, other than Frank Zappa and the Velvet Underground. They just seemed to have trouble like signing bands with any kind of like consistency. You know, like mm-hmm. it's kind of like up and down. We'll sign this group; they'll be great. Oh, not so great. Okay, we'll sign this group. <laughs> but I bought it anyway, and uh, I have to say I was really pleased with it at the time, and I I always I've always liked it. So let's give a listen to this song, which I think, once again, has a great title, which is part of the lyrics in the song. And it's absolutely meaningless, but it's just so evocative of something. I don't know what. But this is from self-titled album again, Bloomsbury People. This came out in 1970. Here's a song. It's called Pioneer Saint of Death. Let's give it a listen, Mm. everyone. The knock on your door You know it's true Who is it?
Point of Death Written on the wall The pioneer saint of death Giving out his call And we're back, everyone. So I hope you enjoyed that song. It was pretty... Uh, it was pretty rocking. Mm-hmm. It went a lot of places, mm-hmm. and it was something I was really into last year, or when I was making—not last year, but when I was making these, yeah. when I was making these mixtapes, cool. five years ago. Which is, I had this fascination with the idea of pocket prog. Okay. Which was like to have a song that was like a pop length song, like a three minute song. Right. But it's it had all the elements of a prog song in right. it, on it, but without the need for the excessive length of like a yes yeah. roundabout or or whatever. Although I like those songs a lot. And mm-hmm. when I say excessive length, I don't actually think they're truly excessive. But I, I just do. mean in terms of like a pop. What? Did you, what did you say something there? Uh-huh. What? What? Hmm? Do you? What? Or, what was this? I was, didn't interrupt you, did I? No. Oh. You sure? Yep. Okay. Continue. And so I was just like, I love the idea of like a song fitting in like various, you know, little kind of prog elements, prog elements, or mm-hmm. little moments, little changes and stuff like that in the yep. song. Like this song has like, you know, it's got well, you know, it starts off with like the the big, you know, a knock at the door, do 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 do. You know, mm-hmm. has a big part of the song, but then it goes into that little kind of like bells, ch- like chiming, and, and then mm-hmm. then there's a kind of a rocking do 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 do, and then it has that uh, guitar solo where mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of like different guitars echoing, yep. in. and it's just like these various little elements that are all come together in this one song, and I and I really I really kind of enjoy it's like that. a book of short stories yeah. in song form. Yeah, that's right. But what did you think of it, Mary? <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. Which I don't like prog songs. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, part of me was like, I don't like prog songs because they're really long. Mm-hmm. I think I just don't like prog music because <laughs> this is not a very long song and I still didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't like his singing. Oh, I love his singing. I just don't really like that. He really sells it. really sells it. At the beginning, especially, there's like this really specific way that he was singing. Mm-hmm. He had like this specific cadence. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like that. Okay. Um, and I thought that it was a bit too dissonant later on. Not, there was like a dissonant yeah, I'm sure bit. that was, yeah. Which you like, mm-hmm. but I do not like. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really do enjoy it. The band, well, they're from, of all places, they're, well, they're from Wisconsin. They were, at okay. the, they came together at the University of Wisconsin in Waukesha, Wisconsin in 1968. Uh, they appeared at the 1969 Midwest Rock Festival and the band was discovered by Jim Crochet, not that grim. Jim Crochet. Oh, really? A not, different one? Not Bad Bad Leroy Brown. Oh, weird. Uh, if I could have time, if I could hold time in a bottle, Jim Crochet. This Jim Crochet was... Um, Can I just say one quick thing yep. about Jim Crochet? Sure. He looks like Borat. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, but he's pre-Borat. Yes. No, of course. Maybe I should say Borat looks like Jim Crochet. His most famous song, If I Could Hold My Wife in a Bottle. Yeah, pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he died in a plane crash. Dear, terrible oh, make fun of someone. That's sad. I'm not making fun of him. Yeah, I just can't believe you just mock. I'm just saying he looks mock the dead. And I looked him up. You can't even employ them. Here you're just mocking them. I was not mocking. I don't, I'm not making fun of how Borat <laughs> looks either. I'm just saying that they look similar. <laughs> they do look similar. Which I've Jim Crochet was not Jewish, but he was Italian. Mm. And I think that there are similar looks sure. between those two ethnic groups. Okay. And Jim Crochet's wife was Jewish, and he later converted. But he was not, to my knowledge, he was not. Um, I did not know that about him. I didn't know he converted. Huh. I found that out because I looked him up on Wikipedia. Because I wanted to see if he was Jewish. I've always wondered about that song on his second album, Ouch, My Penis. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that episode of Glow, am I right? (laughs) So this Jim Crochet was the manager of the Carpenters. 
and Randy Newman at one time. He was able to secure the band a deal with MGM Records, as I said, they were on MGM. So the band actually recorded the album in Chicago, and then the tracks were mixed in L.A., where strings and horns were added to it, under the guidance of this kind of legendary A&R guy named, he's kind of an A&R producer-manager named Michael Lloyd. And If you look up his history, he's kind of like has his fingers in a million pies all the way up, up until now. Where he well, he he was a producer and produced many people. I can't even, like it's lots, but he mostly like stuff that you wouldn't want to listen to. But he's just one of those guys who are like so he's so like a, such a pop monster that it doesn't matter what what he's listening to. He's only interested in it as a potential commercial viability. You know that kind of person. So he's not really like he's not listening to music and going, oh, this doesn't really suit me. You know, I'm more of a jazz guy. He's like, would this sell? You know, so he's like, he managed and produced Sean Cassidy, you know, just stuff like that, right? So, but uh, yeah, so the band then began recording a follow up, but members started to leave. And so it came down to only the original drummer, bassist, and the keyboard, keyboardist, main songwriter, a guy with a fantastic name. Are you ready for this name? Sigmund mm-hmm. Snowpeck Third. That's a really good name. It's a great name because not only there was there one Sigmund Snowpeck, there was three of them. Yes. In a row. Yeah. I don't. Even, I hope he didn't break the. I hope he has a Sigmund Snowpeck Fourth, but I don't know. You'd think with a name like that. Yeah. You would be discouraged <laughs> from sending it on yes. by every person you ever met. Yeah. But I think so. You know. You never good know. Good for him. Yeah. If he did, I mean. You know, so well, I guess good for his parents then. Yeah, so or his the, dad, realistically. So I with everyone leaving, his mom leaving, was too oh, thrilled. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> like, How about David? Like, no, David was not John? a good name. John? What about John? No, not a good name. <laughs> Only Sigmund. Sigmund was good enough for my grandfather. It was good enough for me. It will be good enough for my son and my grandson, God willing. I have a feeling that Sigmund Snowpeck had no kids. Okay. Because he was entirely devoted to his uh, music, hmm. which. Uh, having listened to quite a bit of it uh, mm-hmm. uh, recently, because I was <laughs> curious about him, yep. is often very avant-garde. Okay. In some cases, painfully avant-garde. Hmm. And that's not what I'm into, everyone. I like I like pleasantly avant-garde. Okay. It can be a little painful, but it has to have a payoff to it. Right. It can't just be painful. Yep. Because that's or boring. Yes. Then it's whatever. But I thought I'd play... I know you love when I do this, Mary. I thought I'd play mm-hmm. a track mm-hmm. from the second attempted follow-up to Bloomsbury People that became a Sigmund Snowpeck the third solo album called Virginia Wolf. Okay. So, sorry, this is the guy that you said was too avant-garde? We're playing one of his songs? Yes, yes. Okay. This is the least avant-garde song oh, on, this, okay. on this album. All right. Which, and yes. And it's 10 have, minutes long. It is not <laughs> 10 minutes long. It is a reasonable four. Yeah. It is an enjoyable two. Okay. <laughs> We're listening to four? <laughs> We're going to listen to all four minutes. Okay. Listen to all four minutes. All right. Are the enjoyable two minutes at the beginning? Yeah, they're at the beginning. Okay. And, and then, then it, it just keeps going. I know. I enjoy it all, but I just think that people will will prefer the first half of the song, and the second right. half of the song will be interesting to them. I mean, okay. it, it's all interesting to me. I'm not a person who's just going to be, like, driving my car, and I'm going to be like, you know what I want to hear? Squelching noises. Yeah. I'm going to put on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> And I was just not going to drive yeah. along listening to that, you know, like, that's not my, not my cup mm. of tea. Some people love it. If you liked that, you would work in a dairy farm. <laughs> or be a, a person who does, oh, I can't think of the name now. Who does what? Listens to stomachs. Oh. A gastroenterologist, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you enjoy listening to that. Oh, let me listen here. <laughs> oh, sounds good in there. <laughs> sounds great. Man, if you put this on a loop, it would be fantastic. <laughs> All right, the song is called Soothsayer's Dove, 
And this is, cool as, name. as I said, from Sigmund Snowpeck III's first solo album from 1972, Virginia Woolf.
All right, and so that was uh, Sigmund Snowpick the third. And Mary, I think uh, you expressed at one point you went, "I thought it was over." But yes. It was, well, it, was it, it that was the radio edit. You thought you were listening to the radio edit. Well, it stopped, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I guess we're done." And then I looked over, and it was halfway through, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess I'll settle back into my chair." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like the guitar, or not the guitar. I really like the piano part and sort of the mid mid part of the song, the song where he's like kind of just banging away. It's and a lot of crashing and banging going on. And it was obviously recorded on on the cheap because there's not wasn't a lot of money in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I guess. But but uh, yeah, they um, ambitious anyway. And what's the curious trajectory of Sigmund Snowpeck's career to me is that uh, before actually, I w- I wonder what the exact. It's weird because I'm just trying to think now. He because he plays keyboards on the Violent Femmes' third album. Okay, which seems weird, right? But they're all they're from the same town. And I guess they kind of. I guess he was like a kind of you know a mentor figurehead on the scene, and he played keyboards. And they're like, hey, we can use this guy. He can play keyboards, and so he plays on a very disappointing third album by the Violent Femmes. Uh, is it the Blind Leading the Naked, Mary? Is that what it's called? Couldn't tell. I ya. believe it is produced by Jerry Harrison. Not a great album, everyone. I remember. Oh, I remember loving the first album so much, so much. I played it for everyone till they were sick of me. <laughs> then I bought the single, you know, that had "Ugly" and uh, "Hey Dad, Can I Borrow the Car," which is so great. And then, then the second album came out, and it was kind of weird because you weren't like expecting this band to suddenly like kind of be doing like con- the country death song and stuff like that, and have a kind of more country elements to it, and then also have like the weird kind of jazz songs that were on it. But it still it was a great album. And, like, oh, this is so fantastic. Then the third album came out, and you're just like. This is the most disappointing moment of my life. <laughs> I just spent eight dollars on this thing. <sighs> anyway, he did play with them. So, Mary, let's move on to oh, I think it's our fifth song now, and this is Villagers. They're a band from Dublin, and uh, this is from their second album, which was called Mary. What are the little squiggly brackets called? Are they brackets? Are they the actual brackets? Because parentheses are one thing, right? And but then there's those kind of ones that are like you know what I mean? That look like. Kind of I like do a, know what you mean. Kind of like a bow, almost. So they have a little point in them. Anyway, because the title is kind of weird for this album. It's that kind of bracket, that squiggly bracket, and then a wayland, and then end squiggly bracket. Apparently they're called braces, okay. curly brackets, or second brackets. Which one do I prefer of those? I think braces is the best one. I like curly brackets. Well, it's kind of long, though. And it seems sort it of like... seems, yeah, not super professional. <laughs> it seems not super professional. That's on the same... So, okay, so... Yeah. Brackets, yeah, uh, is like the category, and then within that there are four different types of brackets. Okay, there's the rounded ones, which are yeah parentheses. Okay, squiggly ones, which are braces. Mm-hmm. S- the square ones, which are brackets. Okay, the and then angled ones, which are chevrons. I don't know what those are. Chevrons are often oh, used oh, the in little, French. Oh, I know the kind of mean. Yeah, well, yeah. for for coding for HTML. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so those are like the first, and then there's. A, like a or round brackets, curly brackets, square brackets, angle brackets, or first brackets, second brackets, third brackets. Chevron is not included in that. For I don't. Some reason. I don't like. Th- I don't like those other ones. I like the first one. That's fair. I'm gonna call them braces. So okay, let's say it again. So it's brace, away land. Okay. End brace, and this came okay. out in 2013. So everyone, this is nothing arrived from that album. I just I just named complicatedly, and let's give it a listen. Should we fear 
What did you think of Villagers and their song, Nothing Arrived? Uh, I liked it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that was cute. Um, I liked the ending of it a lot. Oh, so you like kind of the sort of the big kind of ending too? I almost had like a kind of arcade fire big ending kind of hmm. idea too. Yeah, maybe. I can see that. Yeah, okay. Um, and I like the singing. Yes, good yeah. singer. But yeah, I like that style of music. So, okay. Yeah. It's right up your alley. Yep. Nice, nice. Well, I don't have much to say about the group. Okay, so they're in, are they newer? They're a newish group. Yeah, that was yeah. from 2013. So, yeah. you know, they're just... Yeah, there's often not much to say about new groups. Yeah. They haven't yeah. done much yet, right? Well, it's just that they haven't... Unless they've done something really exciting, I don't... Or have, like, some sort of interesting trivia about them. There's not much to, to discuss. You're yep. right. Or some sort of funny name. Or some funny name yeah. or some... Yeah. Like the guy in Fleet Foxes, his name is, like, Stellan Skarsgård or whatever. Yeah. He's no Sting- Sigmund Snowpeck the Third, yeah, but yeah. No. yeah. Also, uh, his name is not Stellan Skarsgård. That's an actor. Yeah, I know. I know who he meant, though. I can't remember his name is. It's like Stellan Skarsgård, though. It's exactly like it. Yeah, it's but very it's, similar. No, no, it's exactly like it. It is Stellan Skarsgård. It is Stellan Skarsgård. Okay. Okay, let's move on to your next song then, dear. Okay. We're just whipping through now. After after that long documentary. Yeah. Now we're now we're now we're going now we're now we're cooking with gas. Hmm. So uh, let's. Oh, let's... it's Skylar. Skelset. Skelset. Yep. I know. I just didn't want to. Uh, I liked. I liked pretending that his name was Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, okay. So let's listen to this group. They're called the Lovins, and this song is called "That's All She Wrote." Uh, this came out on 
the well, very well-known Curtis Brothers Records in 1966 uh, on a, as a single. So let's give it a listen, everyone. you make of this little bit of a folk rocker i liked it yeah it's yep. a good song yeah it's, little, it it's a little beatly yep it's a little birdsy yep it's got the kind of folk folk action going on yep. there obviously we're like what's interesting about this group is they were actually called the hysterics oh really they'd had a hit the previous year called well not really a hit but they had to put out a garage rocker that was fairly popular within the la region called everything's there and what's funny is that it's the b-side to the single so, oh really yeah but when this, they recorded the song, when it was put up by the record company, they changed the name of the Hysterics to the Lovins. I guess they thought that was more hippie-ish and would be, would you know, catch on, catch on with the kids, right? Because be like, oh, I love Lovins. I'm gonna buy this CD. <laughs> I mean, or CD. I'm gonna buy this single. But like, it probably didn't happen. But anyway, it's a good song though. Mm-hmm. It's a good song. All right. I like. I, oh, I do like the like corporate. Like, oh, kids like this thing, so let's name <laughs> it after that thing they like. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, here's our new band. We're calling them Drive-In Movie Theaters. Well, the reason I know this is because I was re- listening to the song. Sometimes when I'm looking up a band, it's hard to find information about like kind of more obscure groups like this. Mm-hmm. But often, like one of the better places is YouTube. If you go to like YouTube videos, yeah, people will comment on them, and often it'll be like family members will be like, "Oh, my uncle played in that group, and they blah 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 blah." And you're like, yeah. "Oh, let me just take that a bit of information. Thank you." <laughs> well, what's funny is is underneath the song, this person wrote in and said. And so that's not the name of the group. The record company must have changed it without their knowledge. Hmm. The reason I know this is because I wrote the song and I was in that group. They're called the Hysterics. <laughs> and huh. I thought, Hysterics? That's hysterical. Yeah. Your name was changed by the record company and you didn't even know it. I think that was weird. I think Hysterics is a better name than The Lovin'. Yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, it's more of a rocker name. It's more like it's not really like a mm. a folk rocker name, right? That's fair. But I mean, you know, you wanted to change your name to something that was more kind of either hippie-ish or kind of yeah. or kind of re- beetly, you know, like yeah. call yourself the Beef Eaters or the you mm. know mm-hmm. or the the June know. Bugs. No, the June Bugs isn't the Mosquitoes. Yeah, the Mosquitoes. Now you're sounding like a parody group from like a <laughs> surf movie or whatever. I remember there's like one of those surf movies has a British rock star in it his name is P- the potato bug oh yeah that's his name like and it's like a joke on the beatles right yeah. he's a potato bug and you're like ah oh, hilarious <laughs> yes beatles beatles bug good good job guys <laughs> good job screenplay writer <laughs> i gotta the kids will love this if you make fun of the beatles <laughs> in my day we didn't have bands called the monkeys and the beatles and they knew how to spell names as well <laughs> all right next song dear yep what is it I bet you like this song. Oh, do you bet that? I bet you like this song. Oh, well, well, we'll you, see. You better, because it's Rita Lee. Oh, yeah, I do like Rita Lee. <laughs> so you better like Rita Lee. This is Rita Lee. The song is Frique Comigo from the album Oje e o Primero Dia do Resto da Sua Vida. It's a long name. Yeah, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Hmm. This came out in 1972, everyone. Let's give a listen to Frique Comigo.
Well, Dad. And the reason I'm joking about this song. You were right. Really? I like the song. That's funny because you know what you know what I category I put this song into? What? A little thing I like to call pocket prog. What? Yes, because this song is that. in this song is in sections again. It's in sections. I think that a song being in sections doesn't necessarily mean it's prog. Well, you don't think so, eh? Nope. I do. And I think okay. this song falls under that rubric because because I don't know, I just think you know, just the way the piano is in it and stuff where it's like has that kind of weird distant piano playing and then the song kinda of comes back in again and mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously they're just having some fun, but it is a, it is a fun song. And what's strange about this album, but this album was, it's a Rita Lee solo album in name only. It actually was an Os Potanches album. All the songs are written by, well, Rita Lee writes all the songs on it, but she also, she co-writes them with the other members of right, Os Potanches, Arnoldo Baptista and Sergio Diaz also, uh, you know, have their credit, their names all over it. And also other band members like Laminia, the bass player and... I can't remember the name of the drummer of the band at this time. The band had expanded beyond their three-person uh, original formation that they had th- for their first few al- few albums in the in the 60s. In the 70s, they added to... So they could have like a bigger sound for concerts. So they added a bass player and a drummer. And that allowed Arnold Baptista to play the organ and Sergio Diaz to rock away on his guitar and, and Rita Lee to play her keyboards or, or her tambourine or whatever she felt like doing. So this was, came out in 72. The thing was, Os Matanches had already released an album... Oh, in that year? In that year, yeah. yeah. And so the record company is like, well, we don't want you guys to be putting out two albums in a year, which, tell that to Emmett Rose, everyone. But anyway, (laughs) but I think the actual truth is the record company were angling to build a solo career for Rita Lee. Oh, for Rita Lee, yeah. So they were using this as an excuse to have another Rita Lee solo album, because they'd already convinced her to do one in 70 or 71. She did an album called Build Up. And that one didn't have Arnaldo Baptista on it, but Sergio Diaz played on it. But so it wasn't like as much like a just a Mutanches album in all but name, right? Unlike this one, this one was yeah, ser- just rebranded. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting about this album to me is that it kind of it kind of ha- hangs around. They're getting access to a sixteen-track studio, and they're so excited by it that they just kind of like had this flurry of, of activity and, hmm. and wrote these songs and recorded this album really quickly. It's not a very long album. It's got I think 12 songs on it, but it's super short. All the songs are really short. I think the longest one is like four minutes or maybe five minutes. And everything else is quite short and really poppy and fun. And it's got this kind of weird kind of prog pop element to it of like, you know, really elaborate guitar parts, but still mm-hmm. in a kind of pop context, which really brings anyway, because she's just like Mrs. Melody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I think that that, I mean, maybe that is like the the thing that separates it from prog yeah. is how melodic the songs are. Yeah. Which might yeah. be entirely because of Real Lee. Could be that, you know. I think that it has like a very distinct sound mm-hmm. from most prog rock. Sure, sure. Which, I mean, could also be impacted by the fact that it's Brazilian and was pulling from like a um, a yeah. Yeah. Tropicalia basis as opposed to like a sure. purely um, like American British rock basis. That yeah, prog yeah. Rock Although, yeah, yeah. I mean, prog rock was, you know, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't say it, it existed solely in a, in a rock genre because it drew from jazz it drew from folk music and stuff like that but yeah right right but yeah but being drawn from american and british culture and not having any of that um like brazilian yeah yeah impact which definitely changes the sound of something sure sure and this song and there's a certain playfulness to this song as well it really is not taking itself seriously at all yeah the frique conmigo means uh sleep with me basically Mm. it's like a slang term for it frique means to rub okay and so it's basically like rub with me right the, the phrase in uh you know, the polite way to say it is to stay with me, but it really means like, you know, sleep over stay with me. Stay the night with stay me. Sleep with yeah. me or whatever, yeah. Yeah. 
like when people ask if you slept with someone when I was a kid, that didn't mean did you sleep over? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just, it still still doesn't mean that. Well, yeah, but I just mean like it, you know how it, anyway. Yeah, it can have two meanings, but right. Hardly anyone ever means the the. Yeah, the, yeah, but you said when you're a kid, implying that like it is. Yeah, yeah, no, now. it's changed. Everyone just means like if you sleep with yeah. someone, it means that you. Just, like, you shared a bed. Shared a bed, but yeah. you had like a bundling board down the center. Of yeah, it. exactly. You made you like a dare. you made like a corridor of pillows <laughs> between the two of you so that you wouldn't kick each other. Yeah, yeah. During the night, yeah. which my boyfriend had to do with his brother when they were little kids, and they went away on holiday, because <laughs> otherwise they'd be kicking each other all night. Huh? Are they karate champs? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're little boys. <laughs> all right. Let's listen to Julie Duran, everyone. Okay. Here we go. drawn that was her song consolation prize i like the beginning of it okay um but it i don't know it didn't it kind of lost me okay yeah is that when it had the little sound effect part yes <laughs> yeah that's that's uh couldn't could not hard hard to keep me when you include something like that you know <laughs> she's what a purist i really like i really that's probably that's why the song is on here is because it has that element to it yeah of course. that's fine because i have a sense of humor everyone we just like different things in music i like mine to include music <laughs> music in it and a little bit of noise it's all for fun uh this came from her album her 2009 album i i can wonder what you did with your day which came out i said in 2009 right so julie durant is from moncton new brunswick obviously part of the acadian oh cancon yes this is our cancon that's nice. right Part of the Acadian population there. For people who don't know Canada very well, the Acad- um, when the French came to Canada, they not only inhabited the f- 
Quebec area of Canada, but a lot of them were in, settled in the Maritimes as well. Mm-hmm. And Which they, makes sense because the Maritimes are the first place yeah, they the came first, to. Yeah, that's right. The first place you'll stumble yeah. across. And so there's still, even though a lot of them were driven out by a cruel British jerk mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the in the early part of the 19th century? 18th century. In the 1700s? I think so. Wow, that long ago. It was like, it was after the uh, Seven Years' War. After the Seven Years' War? Between the French and the and the English, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So that would be early, it would be like Regency period, so... Yeah, it would be around that time anyway, late, late. Yeah, it was like late 18th century. Late 18th, early, yeah. ni- early 19th, yeah. Anyway, early 20th. Or early, early. 19th, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so a lot of them were driven out, the Acadians. They went down to Louisiana, when they went down to the French-speaking part of the United States, and they became Cajuns. That's where the, the name mm-hmm. Cajun comes from, Acadian. Here in Canada, there still are lots of French people who live in that region. There's lots of French-speaking towns and places there that are bilingual. And so this is where Julie Durand came from. But she became, became a key part of the 90s Halifax scene when she joined Eric's trip, which I mentioned earlier in the show, actually, funnily enough on guitar and then later as bass player at the insistence on her then-boyfriend, Rick White. And Eric Strip were kind of one of the linchpins of the Halifax scene of that time period. They released uh, their first uh, single and EP on Sloan's Murder Records before getting snatched up in the great sub-pop band grab of uh, 1993. That's how the label snatch up Eric Strip, Jail, and The Hardship Post from from that scene. Eric Strip released three albums on sub-pop, Oh, I'm sorry. The expulsion of the Acadians. Yeah. Um. So the British gained control of them in 1710. Okay. Um. And then the expulsion of the Acadians happened 1755 to 1764. Oh wow. Okay. I thought it was later than that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go, everyone. You learn something new every day. When people were unfairly expelled from their country, Rudonculus. Anyway, Eric Ship released three albums on Sub Pop of a kind of music that they would that has been called dream punk. Like I was saying earlier, they all, because Rick White started his own a different group, entirely different group called Elevator Through. Uh, the albums are to me are very feel very unfocused, and there's a real kind of element of like here's a song, now let's make some noises, and here's another song, and then we'll have some you know things happening that you don't really know what's going on, and then you know and then here's another song. You know it's just kind of weirdly unfocused, and I, it's hard to. They're not my favorite band from that from that uh, time period. That's what I'm saying to you. So- but Dory Ron recorded her first solo album at, under the name Broken Girl in 1996, uh, just as Eric Strip was starting to wind down. They did kind of break up in 1996, and she started her own label called Sappy Records to distribute her music. But what's interesting about the this album, I Can Wonder What You Did With Your Day, and the album that came before it was both of them were produced by Rick White, who was her former boyfriend slash band member. And and uh, yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a fun thing and, they, it, and this album is much more in the some of the songs are in her kind of newer style which is sort of like a a folk style reminiscent of of um kimya dawson or something like that you know where it's kind of almost childlike folk songs mm-hmm. you know kimya dawson she did a lot of songs for um juno the movie juno oh, okay yep and um and Duran kind of follows in that kind of sound as well but then there's also songs like this that kind of harken back to to eric's trip with a kind of really heavy sound but with a with 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 a kind of like uh you know, girl group singing over top of it. Anyway, I like the song. Mary thought it was too clattering near the end. Yes. But it did, it did suit the lyrics, everyone. That's the kind of the point of that part of the song. Right. You know, is that, you know, the consolation prize she's getting. The thing of like, oh, you broke up with your boyfriend. You two look so good together. You guys fit You guys fit so well. Mm-hmm. How come you broke up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great, uh, 
I'm sure he did that one before on the show, but it just reminds me of that Lenny Bruce uh, joke where he goes to the Chinese restaurant where he, where he always go to is with with his wife, mm-hmm. Honey Bruce, and uh, his wait his wife was named Honey Bruce. Her wife was named Honey. Okay. Her last name was Bruce because she's married to Lenny Bruce. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, but uh, it's like the other names almost rhyme. And then the Chinese restaurant, and I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this. Lenny Bruce did it, so excuse me, everyone, because I have to do kind of a Chinese accent. And he's just like he's like, where your wife? Where the beautiful woman? Why, why is she so beautiful? Why is she not here? What happened? Why is, why is she so great? What's, why is she not here? And then he goes, oh, we got divorced. Ah, you're better off. <laughs> I just love that story. It's so weird because, you know, it's in, in a part of his career when he's doing like these big kind of expansive stories that are yeah. kind of, you know, like, you know, what if what if Christ returned and had to get sold, you know, to like a, a advertising agency right. and stuff like that, you know, or the Vatican Incorporated sketch and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then in the middle of it, it's just this little tiny slice of life joke. And you're like, yeah. that's the future. Like, what you're doing is interesting, yeah. but what you said there is actually going to be the future of comedy, yeah, Lenny Bruce, totally. and you don't know it. <laughs> but anyway, next song. Next, next song, everyone. song. This is a, a little band. A I little like, band? I like to call Big Star. You like to call them that? Yeah. Or it's a little pet name I have for them. That's their name. It's a little pet name I have for them, Mary. Okay. Big Star. What would I call them? I don't know. What do you call them? Well, if I can't, like, can I call them Big Star? I don't see why not. You can have a pet name for them, too. Well, that kind of diminishes your relationship with them. No. Don't you think? I have no relationship with them, but other than having a pet name for the band. Have a pet name for them if you. Because I have a pet name for them. But how can you have a pet name if you don't have a relationship with them? My pet name is my relationship with them. Big Star. I don't think you know what a pet name is. <laughs> anyway, what's this song, Dad? <laughs> I always like when you indulge my ridiculousness, Mary. <laughs> so it's my job on the podcast. I guess it is. I'm sorry I did that to you. <laughs> my apolo- I appreciate, I appreciate my, that. My apologies. I appreciate that, Dad. <laughs> anyway, this is Big Star. Uh-huh. The song is for you. For me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, turn it in on him. That's her other How job. does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mary. Huh? The song is called For You. I didn't mean it's for you. Oh, thank you. I meant you. the song is called For You. I appreciate the clarification. That's fine. So this song is called For <laughs> Maybe we should bring for, back your uh, your enunciating punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> this this song is called For You. Okay. You said it's called For You, so oh, I okay. understand. This song is for you. For me? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mary. That's the name of the song. The song is called For You. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, All right. just so you know, yep. this is for you. For me? <laughs> but wait, Dad. Yes, dear. Who's on first? <laughs> Us. The song is called For You, Mary. Okay. Bracket. Uh-huh. <laughs> fireplace. And. So wait, it's yeah. called For You, Mary, Bracket, Fireplace, and Bracket? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. Very confusing. That is very confusing. <laughs> I can see why they. I can see why this band never broke it big, because yeah. they could not t- title their song. No, that makes sense. That's <laughs> so, so much trouble. <laughs> All right, so this comes from their um, third album. I'm putting that in quotation marks. Their third record. Okay. Um, that never came out as a record, Oh. necessarily, uh, as as. You know, we'll talk about it when we come back. This is for you, slash fireplace, slash, and bra- I mean, bracket, fireplace, and bracket. Written, mm-hmm. I think this is the only song written by the drummer in the group, Jody Stevens. Oh. And it's a beautiful song. Good for him. So let's give it a listen, everybody. Sometimes. 
And we're back. Mare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can I just say? Yeah. It was very nice of Jody, the drummer, yeah. to write that song for me. <laughs> I didn't even know him. <laughs> you know, when you have a pet name for someone, yeah. they're going to they're gonna do something nice for no, you. No, for sure. You got to learn that, Mare. Yeah, I, just, I, I get that. So anyway, what did you think of uh, for you? I liked it. Um, I liked the strings. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? Yep. Um, yeah. I thought it sounded kind of Beatles-y. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, a big influence on Big yeah, Star, for sure. For sure. Yeah. One of the proto proto power pop bands. Mm-hmm. I did not pick up on it being Big Star. Really? Yeah. I guess because it comes from a weird album. That's yeah. That's a, a, and I think that an, an anomaly because it was written. It wasn't written by Alex Chilton. It, I think it's sung by Alex Chilton. Though. Yeah, but it's not written by him. And I okay. think that that does mm. influence how a song sounds. Right. Okay. Sure. People, sure. different people write different yeah, songs, yeah, even yeah. when they're within a band. Right. Sure, yeah. Like with Sloan, a song written by. One guy is going to sound different than a song written by another guy. Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. like they're singing, you know, they they sing it. Yeah. But yeah. I don't really notice the differences between singing singers that much, you know? Okay. Yeah. 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 So this album began like nine months after Radio City, their final album as Big Star came out, which would have been their final album as Big Star. So that came out was a flopperoo because they're still having trouble with distribution with Ardent being signed to Stax Record and Stax Records going into bankruptcy and all the distribution lines getting strangled and them having to so- and ha- and them having to sell their 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 catalog to a, to their debtors who then sold it on to Columbia who then opted to not to not distribute all of the albums that they had and Big Star was one of the albums they chose to not distribute so they re- they really 
were in a jam. And so they, you know, the album, even though it got like rave reviews at the time, just did not have any traction at all and no one's interested in it. But still, nine months later, Alex Chilton and Jody Stevens returned to the studio, minus bassist Andy Hummel, who had decided he'd had enough and he was going to go back to college, which he did. He went back to college to finish his studies. And so it was just Stevens and Chilton working on this album. And unlike the first two albums that were kind of overseen by the owner of Arden, John Fry, with Terry Manning or Chris Bell Manning, the the engineering chair, this album was produced by Jim Dickinson, who has had a kind of reputation as, even though he'd started off like as Arden's kind of main producer and stuff like that, I think by the time the 70s came around, he'd had enough of being like enough workaday life. He just wanted to kind of stretch back and, and have some fun. And he kind of became known as a sort of wild man of the Memphis scene, and so that was the kind of a- 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 atmosphere of the, of the um, sorry, I didn't mean to stutter. That was the atmosphere of of the um, of the sessions, and so and it kind of it got to the point where John Fry, the owner of the studio, had to step in and and kind of shut it down. He's just kind of like, oh yes, that's enough, everybody. Let's let's just uh, call this finished. There was no band necessarily, so it had like a rotating cast of musicians kind of filing in and out. Uh, Alex Children was going through some personal issues, which generally means drugs mm-hmm. in rock and roll talk when people say he was suffering from personal personal issues it's a long way of saying drugs so that was kind of affecting what was happening in the studio and like i say john fry just pulled the plug on it said this is escalating outside out of our control and we don't have the kind we don't want to bleed money for a record that we don't even know what the, its saleability is so yeah. he had the album mastered by this art engineer named larry nix in early 1975 at the time during these sessions there was no mention of big star's name they weren't listed as big star sessions. They were either list- listed as Alex Chilton sessions mm-hmm. or Sister Lovers was the other op- optional name hmm. they were giving the band. Because at that time, both Chilton and Stevens were dating sisters Lisa and Holiday Aldridge. Oh, weird. So so they just that, they kind of gave themselves that name. Yeah. And so the album has been called at various times either Third or Sister Lovers. Mm-hmm. But Sister Lovers was actually not intended as the album title. Sister Lovers sounds like it would be like a, a fake... Um, band on Arrested Development. Okay, okay. I might just be thinking of Mother Boy. There you the are. The magazine. Sure. Yeah. How about Sisters Brothers? Sis- sisters Brothers? Sister Brothers. Sister Brothers. Isn't that a movie? I don't know. The Sisters Brothers? It's like brothers oh, and last name is sisters. Yeah, yeah. And it's more serious than you think it's going to be. I haven't seen it. I've just heard just, of it. I just heard of it too. Yeah, but yeah, it's like kind of Western. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's sisters though. I think it's daughters. I don't know. can't remember now. Mothers. I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm going to keep guessing it. Fathers. The Sisters Brothers is a 2018 Western crime drama film based on the novel of the same name by Patrick DeWitt. There you go. So it's John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix as the notorious assassin brothers, Eli and Charlie's sisters. Yeah. It was kind of, when it was marketed, it made it look like it was kind of a comedy, but then it turns out And and the name of it, too, is very... The name of it and John C. Riley is usually in comedies. And it has like... Well, yeah, but not always, but I think that he's more known for comedies. He's become that way, yes. For yeah. Sure. And then, like, I think when he's, yeah, when it's Sisters Brothers, John C. Riley, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Riz Ahmed were in it as well. Mm. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, like, you know, that could be a comedy. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. So, uh, John Fry and Jim Dickinson took the tapes to New York City, and they tried to interest Record companies there in the, in the album, no one bit. So they went to LA, tried it there. Once again, no one bit. So they came back and just shelved shelved the material as having no commercial potential. Now, by the time the late 70s rolled around, Mare, Big Star were starting to gain interest, were starting to gain traction. Like people were coming, becoming interested in the band. A record label in, in England re released 
the two their first two records as a as a as a double album as a twofer, mm-hmm. and so you could you know go and buy fairly cheaply as a budget album. You could find both uh, number one record and Radio City, and and you know people were buying and critics were loving it. People started talking about them, and so well, yeah, they're fantastic. Yes, and so and so then the third album was then released in the UK in 1978 as a big star album to cash in on the growing interest in the group. Mm-hmm. And so this album had a different running order than the original pressing, though, and it didn't feature For You, which is... Huh, yeah. that's sad. But I think that this that the company was looking at it more as like an Alex Chilton a right. solo album by this right. point, because he, he had a solo career as well going yeah. on at the time, so you could kind of cash in on that part of it. I mean, he was like the main... Like, for people who knew the band, he would have been like the... Like, who yeah. knew the band and knew, like, music, yeah. he would be the main attraction, right? Sure. It's like, oh, more songs by Alex Chilton. Yeah. He was so great. As like the main songwriter for Big Star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then the American, there was an American release of the album as well, which once again changed the running order again, but this time included For You. Oh, good. Neither release was successful though. That's sad. But still, great song. So, Mary. Yes. How do we move on? Okay. To our next song. Okay. And can I just say. Yes. The Sisters Brothers. Yes. Was a box office bomb. Okay. It had a $38 million budget and only made $13.1 million. Oh, that's too bad. But it was quite critically uh, well... Um, regarded. Regarded. Yeah, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. I would like to see it. I just haven't had the opportunity. Yeah. One of these centuries. It was nominated for a fair amount of awards as well. It won a few. Cool. All right. Are you ready for the tokens? Yes. Are you ready for She Lets Her Hair Down bracket early in the morning bracket? I guess so. Did you know the song was a was a commercial jingle? No. It was. For what? Clairol hair color. Huh. Let's give it a listen, everybody. Every day And she lets her hair down When the sun comes up Yes, she lets her hair down She wakes up the sleeping flowers Early in the morning Early in the morning On her way Yes, the morning goes bright She lets her hair down when the sun comes up She lets her hair
We're back. We're back, everybody. Mm-hmm. How I love the how I love this group, Mary. I love the tokens so yeah. much. And this song, I think, is great. This is my favorite version of the song. Gene Pitt needed a version of this song. And there's a group called Brainstorm that did it, but you cannot find that anywhere. And I have a feeling that Brainstorm was just a name given to the 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 uh, group that sang the jingle for the for the original commercial. Oh yeah, it was a studio band or whatever yeah just like a conglomeration of you know session singers and session players yeah session musicians give them a name give them a name and why not in advertising we like to brainstorm let's call it brainstorm what's wrong just you know unimaginative (laughs) this kind of sounds like that sort of thing though right yeah it does what do you think of the song uh i liked it oh good i thought it was pretty fun pretty cute pretty cute song i can see it being like a commercial for a hair product Mm -hmm. in the 60s Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's one of those songs like kind of like we've only just begun, which also began by the Carpenters, but also, which also began began life as a bank commercial. And but that case, Richard uh, Carpenter heard the commercial and he contacted the songwriters and had them expand the song and make it into like a a pop length song so they could so they could cover it. And this for, in this case, I think it was written as like a complete song and then you know could be marketed as as the for Clarell commercials or and then it also be sold as a song same thing that happened with I'd like to teach the world to sing which was started as a as a Coca-Cola song but then became like a hit song on its own hmm. uh, sung by the Hilltop Singers everyone so the tokens I find the tokens very interesting Mary I wish I could do a little mini documentary about the tokens but I'm not going to okay because we've already done our mini doc for this episode right we no more mini we don't want to do too many because then we would be a podcast about documentaries <laughs> we'd, be, we'd also be four hours 14 hours long, perhaps. Yes, as opposed to four hours long. So the Tokens are one of those groups that started in the 1950s that like were teenage, like a teenage vocal quartet or a combo or whatever, okay. you know, like a bunch of kids singing in the corner together, snapping their fingers. Yeah. Hey, we're really good at this. Come on, guys. Woo! So um, they started off as the Link Tones, which I think is a great name. The Link Tones. The Link Tones. It's a very 50s name. Yeah. Then Daryl and the Oxfords. Okay. I guess Oxford's shoes were popular by that point. Yep. Then the tokens and coins, so reference to what you'd use for the subway. You could pay with your tokens or your oh, coins. Oh, I thought they were talking arcades. Yeah, no, but no. It's a good, good, good guess, but no, I think it's I think it's more of a subway because they're New York City. Okay, yep. And then they finally settled down to the tokens. The early version of the group featured Neil Sedaka. Mayor, I know you're excited by that. But Not he love he love 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 his calendar girl. Okay. Just so you know. He had like a, he was a kind of popular solo guy. Right. And he also was a songwriter, mm-hmm. wrote, wrote songs in the Brill Building. So he and his writing partner, a guy named Howard Greenfield, wrote songs for the group and they sang them, which was very unusual in those days because most groups either had outside sources for songwriting or did covers. But they performed their own originals, even as like young kids. But Sadaka left the group in 1959 because he wanted to have a solo career. And then the group sang, you know, and had a few kind of minor little interests. But then in 1961, they hit it big, Mary. They hit it as big as you can get. They hmm. hit it. They hit it lifetime big. Okay. They hit it. No one. Everyone will associate you for the rest of your life with this song. Right. Big, which was in 1961. They did the song "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." Oh. Everyone. 
everyone knows that song. Yeah, I think everyone on the planet knows that song. It's a super popular song. Yeah. And if you've heard it, you've probably heard their their arrangement of the song. I mean, the song existed before they did it. Oh, I can't think of the guy's name. Solomon Grundy. No. Not Solomon Grundy. Not Solomon Grundy. Okay. No, that was on Sunday. He, not Solomon Grundy. They, I'm going to okay. say, had this okay. ginormous hit, and it pretty much kind of like, you know, it kind of defined their career in a way. But they they had nine more songs reach the top 100 of the next nine years. So they still like, you know, had a fairly successful career, but they'd always be connected to that song to the point that they would update it and re-record it twice more. Once on their album, It's a Happening World. It's a happening world. It's trying to be mm-hmm. hip. Uh, as Wim Away, five and a half years later. Wim Away? Wim Away, which is part of the song, right? Yeah. Wim Away, Wim Away. Yep. And then on this album, that this song comes from, that Let, She Let Your Hair Down comes from, which was called Both Sides Now, uh, they re-recorded again in 1970. So they just like to revisit it, maybe because they could have a way to get more i don't know how what they did it for publishing or something like that also in 1963 the group became record producers sorry did you remember the name of the person who did the song solomon linda solomon linda thank you dear thank you linda's original uh was written in zulu ah so they do incorporate i think that's where the Wimoway part of it comes from probably that's cool so yeah, so in 1960 they became producers they started producing other groups like the chiffons randy and the rainbows the happenings, who they, the happenings were like their big hit group. Okay. But other, other, very much in sort of the sunshine pop mold. Um, so their production company was called Bright Tunes, and then they created their own record company, which was called BT Puppy Records. BT for Bright Tunes, Puppy for I don't know why. These goofy guys. Yeah. Initially, they did that to release their own albums, but then they started putting other bands in there, like the Happenings, who were actually the most successful group on their label. But by the 1970s. Well, the band was, one thing, the band was coming off a rather unsatisfactory relationship with Warner Brothers. They'd signed with them in 1967. They put out It's a Happening World. And then they, Warner Brothers would release nothing by them after that. They even refused like a full album that they, they gave to them. They wouldn't release it called Intercourse. So the band signed with the more New York-centric label, Buddha Records, which released Both Sides Now, which was kind of both a retrenchment because side two of the album has them... Uh, covering some of their older songs so it has a like i said has a cover of lion sleeps tonight but also has covers covers of other old songs by them and then side one is them covering other songs of that time period a couple of them are owned by buddha so it kind of feels like buddha was like hey you should maybe cover some of our act songs so they do a they do a song by melanie which is a really great version of a melanie song called beautiful people it's really like moi great the guitar part in it is fantastic Mm -hmm. and they do journey mitchell's both sides now hence the title of the album they do the beach boys um, Don't worry, baby. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice version of it. You know, because they had like a Beach Boysy sound to them yeah. too, with a, with that sort of doo wop thing, which is part of what the Beach Boys had in their sound as well. For sure. Yeah. So, like I was saying, this they also had the, which I think it's sort of an oddity of a cover of a uh, hair color commercial song. But to be honest, Gene Pitney also did it. So it was kind of a popular song at the time. Like so, you know, they're just kind of like, hey, people like the song. We better yeah. cover it. Can this- I say? Can I say one sad thing about the Lion Sleeps Tonight? Quickly? Sure. Sure. Um, the person who wrote it yeah. was only paid a thousand dollars. When did he die? Um, uh, he died nineteen sixty-two. Hmm. Yeah. And it was first covered in the nineteen fifties. Yeah. By the Weavers. It wasn't the Tokens who yeah. were like involved in this. It was the Weavers yeah, who did yeah. the first version of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the Americans maintained that South African copyrights were not valid because South Africa was not a signatory to U.S. copyright laws. Mm. Um. But still, the Weavers were like this band of a bunch of 
uh, socialists, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, Pete Seeger and and uh, I guess Peggy Seeger. Yeah, well, it, it says... <laughs> I've run out of names. Fred something. <laughs> but it, it does say that in the 1950s, after Linda's authorship was made clear, because they originally thought it was a traditional Zulu oh, song. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Seeger sent Linda 2000 uh, Oh, sorry. Seeger sent Linda $1,000. Oh, okay. Um, and Seeger said he also instructed their record label tro slash folkways to pay his share of author's earnings to linda but i guess they never did that they probably just put in their own coffers probably yeah that's what we're doing pete we're doing it right now yeah it (laughs) said said, the folk singer apparently trusted his publisher's word of honor and either saw no need or was unable to make sure these instructions were carried out yeah i was probably unable to i mean he could write them letters and they could be oh yeah don't worry of course we're Mm -hmm. sending them oh we did that yeah well lots of money it's all going his way yeah and the Tokens have sued for uh, authorship of the song as well because they feel like their version was so radically different yeah. from the original version mm-hmm. that they basically redid the song. Like their arrangement is, is, is almost a rewriting of the song. Oh, apparently. Sorry. Quickly. Yeah. Um, in 2000, South African journalist Ryan Milan wrote a feature article for Rolling Stone mm-hmm. that said that he, he told Linda's story and estimated that the song had earned $15 million for its use in The Lion King alone. Okay. Um, and apparently a documentary was created called A Lion's Trail that tells the story. Okay. And incidentally exposes the workings of the multi-million dollar corporate music publishing industry. It won an <laughs> Emmy. Huh. I haven't watched it, but if you're yeah. interested, it would probably be something interesting yeah, to check out. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they would talk to some of the tokens in it as well. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, for sure. How did you guys get screwed in this deal too? Yeah, yeah. So this song, uh, She Let Her Hair Down, was written by Leon Carr, who wrote um, songs like Hey There, Lonely Girl, which is a alumnus of the listening party. Hey there, lonely girl. <laughs> yeah, very good, dear. And uh, Bell Bottom Blues. Not the Eric Clapton one, but uh, the original version of Bell Bottom Blues. And Paul Vance, who wrote Catch a Falling Star. Do you know Catch a Falling Star? Nope. Catch a falling star and put it in your Oh, butt. yeah. I know that one. Yeah. And also, the classic Mary. Uh-huh. Classic. Ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. Goofy oh, yeah. Great's classic. We know that one. Boom. Boom. Pew. I wonder if the residents would know that one. Maybe. They know rock. One resident really likes Rock and Robin. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned- Bobby Day. When you mentioned- Yeah. There is another song that you mentioned, and it made me think of that, um, was it a- uh, Looney Tunes cartoon with the little owl, and yeah. he has to sing that oh, drink piano to song. Me only with yeah, but then he he wants to sing the the like fun song yeah, on the radio. Yeah. I want to sing a, about, about the, the birds and, and the spring. No, but the moon and the Juna and the spring. He wants to sing that one, but then he has to sing this like boring. <laughs> yeah, drink to me only with. Although to be honest with you, if you've seen the movie movie Emma, uh-huh. there's a version that. Uh, uh, Knightley and uh, Char- uh, not Charlotte, um, Jane. Oh yeah, Jane Fairfax sing mm-hmm. together, and it's just like wow. Yeah, beautiful. no, it's it's really good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I was always like, oh, that's like so silly. But now that I'm working with the residents, <laughs> whenever someone comes in and plays songs that are more like that, yeah. I want to sing it. They're always like, ugh, who's this for? <laughs> I don't want to listen to this. And I'm like, okay, well, other people do. Oh, I don't. I'm like, all right, you can go up to your room and listen to hymns by yourself then, if you want. <laughs> Drink to me only with <laughs> yeah, my eyes. Exactly. Nice. Nice. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, okay. Let's be musically active. All right. What's our next song, Dad? Our next song, Mary, is by Olivia Tremor Control. The song is called Holiday Surprise. Is, I don't think that's her real last name. I don't think it's a her. Olivia? I think it's a band. Olivia 
Trevor, Trevor, Control. Oh, okay. The song is Holiday Surprise 1, 2, 3. Okay. Which came out on their album, Music from the Unrealized Film Script, colon, Dusk at Cubis Castle, which came out in 1996. All right. Let's give it a listen, everybody. Let's give it a listen.
And we're back. Mary, what did you think of uh, Well, what I like to call OTC? OTC? Olivia Over Tremor Control. Oh, the sorry. cheese. Over the cheese, exactly. Over the cheese. The, mo- the cow jumped over that's the cheese. That episode, that's one of, that's like the first Wallace and Gromit, right? That's what it's called? Yeah. Over, over the, the cheese. cheese yeah. <laughs> the cow jumped over the cheese. <laughs> okay. Um, I liked it. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. I like the ending. Oh, yeah, it just kind of goes into that weird uh, fade out with the, with the wind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They like to be experimental, this band. But not too experimental. Yes, still, also too experimental. Still, well, at least for, for this song, they're yeah. still melodic. Yes, that's true. Yes. They're this... not devolving into um, <laughs> into just like random sounds with no like no semblance of no purpose music. Yeah, or yeah. purpose. Yeah, no. This song, you're right. Other songs, not so not so good. Mm-hmm. The CD came with another CD in it, and it's like all like there's like i think nine different versions of a song called green typewriter oh okay most of them are like 30 seconds one minute 30 seconds but then one version is nine minutes long of this noise and experimental Mm -hmm. stuff and you're kind of like thanks thanks a lot yeah thanks a lot person but yes this song is very good there's you can mine some good stuff off of off the records so yeah they began as like but just a bunch of friends making home recordings then exchanging them with other friends and this interplay would eventually result in the formation of the Elephant Six Collective, which was a bunch of bands that all kind of kind of rotated around each other and in, with a lot of interchange of members and sharing, you know, sharing uh, resources and playing on each other's albums. So bands like Apples in Stereo, which were very good, Neutral Milk, Milk Hotel. Oh, hey, they're popular. They're well popular, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. I'd say they're popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean they're like more popular. Than a lot of other bands. They're very are... well known. They have a lot of. Yeah. They have a. I mean, if you listen to them, you wouldn't say they're popular, but they do have a lot of like friends in the music critic business. Let's put it that way. But I mean, like they are. They are like mentioned. They've been mentioned on like TV shows. Yeah, it's weird to me because they're not. It's kind of difficult music to listen to. It's yeah. not like pop. But I mean, music. I think that they're like. I think like for example, I think that they were like referenced in Parks and Recreation mm-hmm. as a band that April. Ludgate listens to Audrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza's character. Okay, yeah, well, that makes it's sense. Like, yeah. yeah, they're like, it's kind of like the idea of like, of like, kind of like, yeah. offbeat or difficult music. Yeah, sure. Right? That's sort of like representative yeah. of that. She doesn't even like, and the airplane flew over the sea. She just listens to On Avery Island, the more difficult uh, second album. Too. Right, yeah. Um, so one of these projects was a psychedelic band that was called Cranberry Life Cycle. And then after high school, the band moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where it then became... The synth- synthetic flying machine. Cool. Uh, Jeff Mangum, who you of course know very well because he is the main man of Neutral Milk Hotel, if not the only man of Neutral Neutral Milk I, Hotel. I don't know any Neutral, neutral Milk Hotel songs. <laughs> well, I've got them in the house, Mary. Well, suggested that you have a lot of music in the house. What do you What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you haven't listened to all of the CDs I have. I was in the like downstairs living room the other day. Yeah. And Eve was in the bedroom on the other side, and yeah. she was, like, yelling at me, and I couldn't hear her at all. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, this is a soundproofed wall <laughs> because of all the records and the CDs. <laughs> Probably. Probably. So, yeah, Jeff Mangum uh, suggested that the name change to Olivia Tremor Control, which he said was just meaningless, sort of surrealist nonsense. But he would leave after their first EP to concentrate on his own music, and obviously with more success because he is more quoted in TV shows. What's interesting about Olivia Tremor Control, I was listening to, uh, once again, Sloan, I was listening to a podcast where Chris Murphy was talking about 
Sloan playing a showcase show in New York City with Olivia, Olivia Tremor control. So they're obviously hmm. were being kind of touted around the same time period. And I, yeah. I think there's a bit of a similarity in their sound at this time. Uh, I think there's a, so- a sound to um, yeah, I can, I twice can... removed that's, that's I can you know, that. Of, yeah. of that period. And they share a bit of sound. Like I was saying, they have an experimental element to them. And it was kind of just in the band membership. There was one guy named Bill Doss who tended to write in like a classic kind of rock song or pop song mode. And then another guy named Will uh, Colin Hart, who contributed like the more experimental songs. And that was kind of how they, they sort of like, I mean, they obviously went back and forth in that way. But so they recorded this record, uh, it was took like two years or maybe even three years, like it's from 1993 to 1996. They just recorded it on a four track recorder. And they took that to a friend's studio. Uh, he had a eight track studio called Pet Sounds Recording Studios. And then they put it on there and then they kind of finished off the album. Yeah, and they also did the artwork for it as well. They did the artwork for the album. So oh, even really? more like Sloan as well, who also yeah. do their own artwork. Cool. So yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Not an enjoyable song They're anyway. They're like the American Sloan. Yes. Less productive, and they kind of fell apart sooner than Sloan They did. were like the American Sloan. But the interesting thing is that there was two songwriters in the group, Dawson and Hart, mm-hmm. but the songwriting was shared between all the members of the group. It was, oh, it just was, like Sloan. Yeah. So was, Although yeah. Sloan has four yeah. songwriters. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes more sense the way they do it. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That was a good song. Cool. Here's another song that I really like a lot. I'm not too, right. sure what Mary thinks about it, everyone, but let's listen to Fairport Convention. This song is called Now Be Thankful. It uh, was never on an album, except on collections, but it was a single that came out in 1970 on Island Records. So let's give it a listen.
And Mary, what did yes. you think of Now Be Thankful? Um, I didn't love it. Oh, really? Yeah. Pourquoi? I just didn't like the sound very much. Hmm. Yeah. I, I do like yeah. Fairport Convention's song, Who Knows Where the Time Goes, though. Ah, what's that Sandy Denny singing? Hmm. So different sound? Different yeah, well, this different, different singer, yeah. yeah. She, was, uh, not a, she was not with the band by this point. This was... So, I don't want to give a whole history of the band, but they 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 were driving in a van to a concert, and they had a terrible car accident. Oh, no. And the drummer died. Oh, no. And the girlfriend of uh, band guitarist Richard Thompson, uh, Jeannie Franklin, she also died. Oh, no. And so, it kind of changed the group's trajectory. That's fair. I imagine it would. And it was kind of changing anyway, like on the album they released before the accident, Unhalf Bricking. There's a song on there, which we will hear in another mix, called A Sailor's Life. That featured... Which is the, uh, sorry, that's the album that Who Knows Where the Time Goes is from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was an album featuring Sandy, Sandy Denny. But yeah, so so when when it came time to, to, like, so after that album, one of the group, one of the guys left in the group, he left Dave Matthews, I think, or Dave, not Dave, but Dave, I can't, I can't remember his name now. Something Matthews. He Anyway, one of the guys, he left the group. And he started a group called Steel Eye Span because he wanted to play like more, even more like traditional music than Fairport Convention was doing. Like when Fairport Convention's early career, like they covered like... Dave Pegg? No, no. He came in later. He was one of the replacements for uh, when that guy left. Um, Ian Matthews, I think his name was maybe? Yes, Ian Matthews. So he left to start... Because he wanted to play like really, really like hardcore traditional music. So he left and formed a group called Steel Eye Span. The list of former members in this band is like... Very, oh, it's huge. Cause they, they've, they've been around for like forever. Yeah. So, but at this point, it was more of the, still the original band, basically, minus the, their, their drummer, Martin Lamble, who had died in the car accident, mm-hmm. and minus the original girl singer, Judy Dibble, who was thrown out of the group rather unceremoniously, in my opinion, because I think she's really great, uh, and replaced by Sandy Denny. But at that point, the group was more kind of like, they do like Dylan covers and stuff like that. So they did like, and kind of goofy covers too. Like they did a cover of If You Gotta Go, Go Now, but they did it in, in a French version. And then they also they also covered um, a Merry-Go-Round song. They covered an Emmett Road song as well. Oh, cool. I can't remember what song it is now. <laughs> I can think of the name of, I can think of the song, but I can't think of the name of it. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, so they were like kind of more covering like West Coast uh, folk rock and stuff like that. They, they weren't really like a, a traditional folk group, but then... As they kind of carried on, and Dave Swarbrick joined on fiddle, that kind of changed like the kind of the the in the band. And but then when they had the the crash, that really changed it. And they kind of just gave up everything they were doing before. Sandy Denny left to form a group called Fathering Gay with her boyfriend. Um, Ian Matthews left to start Steel Eye Span, and then Swarbrick joined permanently, or not permanently, but you know joined more full time. And then Dave Pegg came in as the bass player to replace Ian Matthews. But even though you know, Matthews had left a sort of like a traditional thing. The band still like started playing more traditional music on the on, on the next album, which was Leash and Leaf. It, so it had it had a mix of of traditional songs and so- new songs that were written in, in a traditional way. Kind of like this song, right? Like if okay. you heard the song and I said this was a traditional song, you would you'd probably believe me, right? You'd yeah. say, yeah, this song's like an old song. But it was actually written by Richard Thompson and Dave Swarbrick. They wrote hmm. this song. And so... Uh, and obviously they're in kind of like a white heat of creativity because they did Legion Leaf. They put out the single and then they did Full House next that has like the brilliant song Sloth on it by Richard Thompson. And that's when Richard, and then Richard Thompson left after that album. And that's the nature of of uh, Fairport, I guess, is you come and you go. Yeah. So the single came out, Swarbrick sings it. He, he wrote, it, wrote it with Thompson. And the idea, Thompson has stated that the idea of the song was, it was supposed to be ironic. 
so it kind of describes like sort of horrors of like middle the middle ages you know and then says that you should be thankful right that's kind of like the the joke of the song for yeah. for them but for me i actually find it very moving <laughs> because <laughs> that is the reality of life is that life is hard and harsh and horrible sometimes right and then that is the comfort of it is that rose that always blooms the idea of the you know that they bring in the song which i really like those the imagery they use in the song and i'm like oh man i wish we could do it in choir you know? <laughs> but uh, what's what's one thing that's kind of funny is the b-side title was an attempt by the band to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest song title ever. Oh, really? The title is Sir B. Mackenzie's Daughter's Lament for the 77th Mounted Lancers Retreat from the Straits of Loch Gnome in the year of our Lord 1727 on the occasion of the announcement of her marriage to the Laird of Kinleaky. Hmm. That is a song title. The song references two things about Private Eye magazine. Okay. One is it had a strip in it a comic strip in it called barry mckenzie about the adventures of an australian expat living in london that was written by barry humphreys who had later become better known as dame edna hmm. and then also the the um imaginary the fictional proprietor of private eye was lord gnome lord gnome yeah and so you can hear in the name uh straits of loch gnome K-N-O-M-B-E, but obviously it's a bit of a joke there to include the gnome from the... Yeah. Uh, so did they get the... the... They did not. Oh. Guinness Book of World Records said that it was not eligible as a song title. I don't know why. It was later beaten by Test Department, though, Mary, you'd be happy to know, with their song, Long Live British Democracy, which flourishes and is constantly perfected under the immaculate guidance of the great, honorable, generous, and correct Margaret Hilda Thatcher. She is the blue sky in the hearts of all nations. Our people pay homage and bow in deep respect and gratitude to her, the milk of human kindness. Also seems... uh Ironic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it Margaret does. Margaret Thatcher, the most well-loved um, <laughs> British Prime Minister. Yes. I guess she had her good points and she had her bad points. Yeah. Mostly bad points. Yeah, I think people are generally unfavorable towards Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't grow, grow up in England with rolling blackouts and labor unrest every week and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I think... Uh, talking to people who lived there at the time, you could kind of see what what guided, what made people vote in that way. You know? Yeah. Even people who were long-time Labour people mm -hmm. switched sides briefly anyway. Mm -hmm. and they went, what have I done? Yeah. And they're like, wait a second. <laughs> Unions are here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mayor, mm -hmm. no matter how you feel about it, now be thankful, which personally, I love that song. In fact, that song booted another song off of this mix because I liked it so much. I put it on. When I heard it, I was like, ah, this is going on, everyone. I don't care what was here before. It's going on. Oh, should I play the last song that I left off? I think I might. No. You can go. You can go and I'll play it. I'll just be me and the listeners together. <laughs> just us. Just you and me, guys. I'm just saying, this is going to be the longest episode ever. Just you and me. Us together. No, it's not. <laughs> longest episode ever. You'll forget the one where we tried to play music and read letters. Whew. Oh, that yeah. was a mistake. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, I told you that was going to be a mistake, but... <laughs> we had to split it into two shows and it yeah. screwed up all my timing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Silly me. So I'm so optimistic. Optimistic to a fault, some might say. But anyway, no matter how you feel about Now Be Thankful, you are going to love the final song on this mixtape. Wouldn't you say, Mary? Yes. Because it is a fantastic song, everyone. It is. It's by a band that I love. I'm going to put my hand up right over here and just say, Fall, Friend of the Fall, mm -hmm. over here. This is from their... Absolutely excellent, perfect, almost perfect, five out of six songs, great, uh, album Slates. It's not an album, it's more of an EP, 
It came out in 1981. This is Leave the Capital, everyone. Let's listen to The Fall. So glorious.
right, and we're back. Okay. Mary, what do you think of that song? Um, I liked it. That was good. fun. Yeah. Pretty punky. Yes. Yeah. I but, like that it it's uh feels feels like it's kind of like a bookend with the beginning of the side. Oh, okay. A little bit. Oh. The like. Yeah, okay. You know? Okay, interesting. Bo- they both kind of have that like punky sound. Sure, okay, sure. The follower, of course, more uh more re- more authentic, but yeah, yeah. Or the punky sound. Well, yeah, of course they were. They were from a very different time period. <laughs> they were from that time period. Yeah. Although they were a post-punk band. They weren't, wouldn't be considered a punk band. Yeah. They came, they rose in, in uh, they followed the, the whole thing. Um, in fact, Marky Smith was at the Sex Pistols show at uh, the Manchester Free Trade Hall. Oh, yeah. One of those people, if you were there to watch that show, you formed a band is apparently how it worked. <laughs> yeah, I just love this song. I, and I, I love, this is like the prime period of, of the fall. This period and the next, they kind of flow together because the, the, the members of the band didn't change too dramatically. Guitar player Mark Riley got kicked out of the group for being too presumptuous and thinking that maybe he deserved equal uh, spotlight as Marky Smith. Yeah. A mistake very yep. few band members make. And um, so he got, he got the boot. And then came, in came Brick Smith, Marky Smith's wife. And she brought in like a whole new kind of attitude, like a more pop more pop orientated attitude that still couldn't like break the back of of the you know the whole kind of like rickety element of the fall but but this time of the group like grotesque after the gram the the album that came out before this before this album is such a masterpiece it's such an unbelievable masterpiece and then even though it's like a crazy mess marquee cha-cha i think that's what it's called whatever it's called that album um which was recorded the band just came into the studio and Marky Smith just handed out the songs and said, we're going to do these songs. And they just had to record them without any rehearsal. Like, it's just a, it's just a, a crazy album. But so it's a, it's an okay album. The songs are really good. And here's my advice, everyone, is I listen to the Peel version, the Peel session versions of those songs, because they've lived, they've lived them a bit longer and those versions are really great. So uh, like New Face in Hell on the Peel session versions is just so good. But anyway, I, what can I say? I'm a fall nut. So... So yeah, just for that time period, it's just everything is great. Every every album, everything is great. Like, uh, you know, it's all great. That's all I got to say about it. So, Mayor. Yes. That's the final song. What? Give me, give me like your kind of overall feelings about this uh, mixtape. I, th- I liked it. Yeah. Overall, good. Yeah. 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 I felt like um, this second side had like a fair amount of like Beatles influenced stuff. I thought. I think I was trying Which to go that way. Which makes sense yeah. since Nick Owen was a fan um, from completely Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see where that comes from, mm-hmm. and it's not bad because yeah. I like that sound, and I know that you like that sound as well. Sure do. Um. But yeah, I liked it mm. overall. I think there's only. Yeah, only like a couple songs that I was kind of like meh on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Hooray for me. Hooray. Hooray for Dave. Let's give three cheers for me. Ready? Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, Mary. Hip, hip. Mary? Yeah? Three cheers for me. Well. No? Not going to get it? No. Well, then how about I ask you one question, Mary? Which is? If people want to write into the show. Oh, that and question. And I know they do. Of course they do. They need to tell us how much they also like that song by The Fall. <laughs> yes. And also how much they like or dislike Tarsum Singh's movie, The Fall, that came out in 2006. I have not seen it. And made 10% of its budget back. Wow. There's a TV show, The Fall, as well, isn't there? There is a TV show, The Fall, Because well. it's funny. When I went to look up The Fall, I just typed in The Fall and expected it just to go right to the band. Of course. Of course, everyone knows who the band is. Right. How I wrote Elastic Man. It's a classic, everybody. Yeah. But then instead, uh, it came to the TV show. Mm. I'm like, oh, if I'm sure if you just go down like a couple of entries, it'll 
it'll yeah. oh, I gotta keep scrolling here. Well, what oh. you gotta do is you gotta go the fall into Wikipedia yeah. and look up disambiguation. And yes, then I know. You'll I, see yeah. all the different things. I just put the fall band in the search, and then it comes up right away. But right, I just assume that that you'll would be that the most well-known version. 1969 documentary about the Vietnam War. Yeah, uh, a 1999 uh, thriller. Uh, 2006 fantasy film, uh, 2008 independent crime film, and a 2013 British-Irish TV series mm-hmm. starring Gillian Anderson. Or Gillian Anderson. It's, I think it's Gillian. Um, and uh, The Fall, The Band, as well as uh, seven albums and 14 songs. Is there a Camus novel, The Fall? Or is there a novel called The Fall? Yes, there is a Camus no- novel, as well as a... Uh, Novel by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan. Mm. Um, I think I think the band was named after the Camus novel. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. 1956 was the novel. Marky Smith, proletariat that he might be, had to show off his uh, his self-education. Oh, of course. All right. So if people want to reach uh, us, are, Mary, wait, how are you would sure they do that, that? Are you sure that they didn't name themselves after the um, after the series of uh, Star Trek novels? No, they probably came out after the band started. Yeah, it did. They came out in 2013. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was nothing called the fall up until the point, except for that movie, the the documentary about the fall of the fall of Hanoi, I guess it would have been, or fall of sorry Saigon. Um. Yeah. Uh Oh yeah, but if people would like to contact yeah, us, Mary, do your job. I'm trying. If people would like to contact us, they can go to our website, sneakydragon.com, and there they can find a contact us page where they can see our. I was going to say they can see our website, but they're already there. They don't need to see our <laughs> website if they're there. But they can see our snail mail address. They yep. can see our email address, which Andy. is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. They can see our Facebook, Sneaky Dragon, our Twitter, Sneaky underscore Dragon. And while you're on our website, why don't you hop on over to our episode page and comment on our episode and let us know what you thought. Yeah. About the songs. And, and you can see what other people thought about the songs, too. I'm thinking that we might do a listener letter show next time. Sure. Because I feel like I was going to let them pile up a bit more, but we still have three more discs to do. So that's six more shows. Mm-hmm. So that's going to... Be too much. Be too much. So yeah, yeah we're going we're gonna to take a little break. We're going to do some listener letters. We're going to listen to you guys. Talk yep. about what you guys have to say. Cool. Uh, make fun of Mary. What? What? Sorry? Me? Did I? What did I say? You said make fun of me. No, I'm not going to make fun of myself. No, you said that they were going to make weird, fun of me. It's a weird thing to say. It's very rude of them, but fair. I, I said I was going to make fun of you. Oh, you were going to make fun of me. Yeah. No, not me. I said I'm going to make fun of you. All right. Continue. Everyone, I'm, I'm having a good time over here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, that's what we're going to do next time. We're gonna cool. Do, we're going to read some of your letters. So, write in if you want to If you want to get a voice. Yeah. If you'd like your voice to get heard, please write in. SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com or on our like uh, on each episode, comment on each yep. episode on the website, and uh, send in your uh, send in your your uh, your astrological sign, and we'll play some more of those. Or we may just play a bunch of them in between letters, just for the fun of it. Sure, why not? We'll figure out something to do. That's I think we've fun. already played like what four? Of yeah, them? four, three or four. So we'll play some more. So anyone? Don't mean so anyone. So everyone <laughs> or anyone? Anyone? Hey, is anyone out there? Hello, <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Uh, thank you for. Coming back again and visiting us here in the uh, Rumpus Room. We appreciate it. Yep. We love to see you. Mm-hmm. We love to hear from you. Yep. And I hope you had a good Easter. Yes, we hope you did have a good Easter. We're recording this on Easter Sunday, and uh, it was a lovely day, wasn't it, Mary? Mm-hmm. Beautiful day. And we uh, collected, we went outside and we collected the rabbits. Mm-hmm. Went and found the rabbits. We painted some rabbits and hid them around the backyard. Oh, wait, what? What's that? That's 
not really how it works. Oh my god, I knew that was not the way to do it. I just yeah. It seemed right. What it happens, right until Dad, I did it. What happens? Yeah. Is rabbits yeah. lay eggs? Yes. And they're colorful and yeah. chocolate. Oh. Yeah. Confused, yeah. I was. I don't know why that. Would, I don't know why that mixed me up. There was a good part at one of our Easter brunches with our residents. Yeah. Where I was going around and taking pictures, and I was like, "Oh, hey, like we have these, we have these little like porcelain rabbits sure. on each of the tables." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, you should like hold the rabbit. That would be like cute for a picture." <laughs> and at one table, I was doing this at like all the tables, and at one table, I went to it and I picked up the rabbit, and someone had put a chocolate underneath it, so I picked it up. It looked like the rabbit had laid <laughs> a chocolate a chocolate egg. Cute. I was like, who did that? It was pretty cute. But the residents were like, what? What happened? <laughs> like, could not comprehend it at all. It was funny. Yeah. Nice. All right, everyone. Well, on that cute story, mm-hmm. we wish you a happy Easter. Yes. And uh, we will see you in a bye week. See you in two weeks, everyone. Oh, wait. Can I say one more thing? Oh, sure. I was looking up, no, okay, I saw the definition of Fortnite the other um, the other day. Yeah. Do you know where that word comes from? The video game? Fourteen nights. Oh, okay. Fortnite, 14 huh. nights. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So we'll see you in 14 nights. <laughs> <laughs>